the Koi Gig part on Off The Ball. You do get tired of winning. People say, oh, you never get tired. You do. You get tired of winning. You get tired of winning easily. You actually want competition in the end. You want to have to work Subscribe for it. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. Very good morning to you. It's Wednesday, the 14th of June. You're very welcome along to OTBAM, the Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. If you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. 0879180180 is the WhatsApp number. You can, uh, of course, text that number if you want, but you can also get us at Off the Ball AM on Twitter or subscribe on youtube.com forward slash Off the Ball and leave a comment there. Shane, good morning to you. Morning, how is all? Kathleen, good morning to you. Morning, morning. Where do we want to start today? I do want to start with how uh, at Christmas I remember looking at the Republic of Ireland fixtures and thinking that Greece game in away in June is so far away and now it's like I just heard you reading at the 14th of June there and I was like oh, lads what so yeah I'm having an existential crisis over here at how fast uh, time moves on but anyway sorry time is going seriously quick at the yeah, moment the Greece game is upon <clears throat> us all of a sudden it's a flat circle yes it's a construct of human perception <laughs> even that's like three weeks until I fly out to Australia for the World Cup which is insane. I was like, oh, that's so far away whenever we beat Scotland. And <laughs> now it seems very, very close. Mm. And yeah. I get more and more sick about the opening game the closer it gets as well. So that's fun too. <laughs> sick because? Just nerves. Because I just don't know how we're going to perform on that sort of like international stage. You know, this team has never performed in front of that many people on such a like high profile, high intensity event. And obviously with Australia being hosts as well, it, adds an extra sort of layer to their performance you know are they going to be able to handle the pressure it's just a hard one we we assessed it on Quiggig this week and um, we looked at all three matches and like all three teams and what we actually expect from them and it, in some ways we've almost focused too much on Australia because it is that opening game and forgot the fact that we have to play Olympic champions straight afterwards but yeah just nervous uh, it's, it's the unknown I suppose that's the thing and not excited as opposed to nervous like the overriding thing is nerves uh, probably overriding is more nerves and excitement at the moment, which is strange. I don't know. I, there's part of me that's like, oh, if I was at home, would I be more excited because I would just be looking forward to watching it with like friends and family and stuff. Whereas being over there, I'm like, you know, you're working on it. You have to like tournament life can be kind of tough as well. And especially the fact there's a lot of travel involved and stuff. I think that's probably been to the front of my mind more so than the football the last while. Um, but I'm sure once I get over there and I kind of get into the atmosphere and remember the fact that half of Australia is made up of Irish people anyways. <laughs> the pressure's almost off at your first World Cup. I, I almost feel, and hear me out, I almost feel like Australia scoring within the first 10 minutes is the best thing for <clears> us. <throat> like as in all the pressure, all the weight of expectation on the tournament all of a sudden goes out the window when you fall behind in the first game. You're like, Traditionally, okay. us scoring first in the first game of a major tournament is good for us. True. Historically speaking, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't say no to a to an Irish. Irish Let's go too early there. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, yeah so. I don't know. We've we haven't done that badly when we've gone down by a goal, but I just feel like the mentality aspect is going to be the thing that Spear is going to have to get very right. And I don't know how much you create that if you're between Abbottstown, UCD, and Tala for the next, you know couple of weeks mm. but, you know, uh, they're all very close what, what, what sorry what, what's, what's the problem 
No, but that's no as an like how do you replicate or how do you kind of get people in the headspace for? But they're hanging out. They all seem very relaxed. Everybody seems happy. People people are signing new deals and and uh, getting new contracts. And there's a no. Well, that's that what I mean. You're going from the complete familiar of those like three relatively smaller places to like flying halfway across the world to play in front of eighty thousand people. You know, like that. I'm just saying that. How how are you building that mentality? I I'm curious to see how Vera does it over the next couple of weeks. I mean, we'll be hopefully speaking to her on Friday, and if not, early next week. So, well, they've managed so far to get up for all the stuff they need to get up for, right? Yeah, but the different story. This like we've never been in a major tournament. Positivity, before. come on, let's get positive here. <laughs> we're we're closing down on it. Five weeks is it? Five weeks? You said? Uh, yeah. Until so first game. First game's the 20th, so yeah, we're six days out from the 20th of June. Mm. And Shane, what are your nerves like for the uh, game in Athens? Uh, do you know what? I, f- I fancy Ireland, and, and that seems like a strange thing to say, because <laughs> hear me out. <laughs> Positivity, <laughs> yeah, Shane! <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I, I, Greece did well in their Nations League group, um, but I think it's too... <laughs> Greece like to keep the ball the same, almost in a similar vein to Stephen Kenny, from what I hear. Um so it, it'll be a fascinating battle between two teams but I, I like to hear how much they're talking about how acclimatised they are to the weather because that was a concern I think when you saw the, the away fixture to Greece you're like oh this is going to be tough from a heat perspective um, but they've done the whatever it was four days in Bristol they took a week off with their family and now they've had nine days in Turkey in, in fairly significant heat so they're acclimatised to that by now you'd imagine um, and, and from a team perspective I mean they're they're raring to go like John Fallon got me excited yesterday when he said and all it took was him saying Evan Ferguson was, was looking sharp and I just went, went with it, you know. Um, and I spoke to Dennis Irwin yesterday, the Aviva, and he's reasonably optimistic as well. Um, and of course we ended up talking about Evan Ferguson but I, I'm optimistic. I think, I, think we can get a, I think we can get a win but I'd absolutely take a draw. We are obviously coming off a different run of form to, to Greece who, as you say, topped their group now that their group was a tier below our group but it wasn't particularly mm. different in terms of quality they had Northern Ireland Kosovo Cyprus that was it I think was it a five team group yeah and yeah. you would expect them on paper to top that top that group but at the same time you have to go and do it yeah exactly look there's no way of undercooking this it's the most important game of the Kenny era there's a lot riding on it if we get beaten it's a really long way back from there for, I mean look this, this group I don't think was ever going to be um our pathway to qualification really but you need to see improvement in results we've seen improvement in performances but we haven't seen it convert into uh, points and mm. an outcome where everybody's going okay I, I see what you're trying to do and I see how it's effective now I personally think it is relatively effective given that we haven't had that much quality in the team we've got slight improvement in quality in the team at the moment yeah um, also the the Greece because of that um uh, those results in the Nations League they've, res- they've already secured a place in the playoffs for the Euro 2024 so it technically doesn't matter then if they finish above us so pressure uh, you can look at that too as pressure's off them um, or their their motivation maybe isn't as high as Ireland so there is that um, and you can interpret that whatever way you want but I, I'm excited like I was listening to Gus Poyet during the week and he was he was referencing John O'Shea of course a member of the Republic of Ireland backroom team and he said John was John is a future Irish Irish manager if he keeps going because he he was his captain when Poyet came into Sunderland. They were in absolute turmoil. I think they fourteen or fifteen new players did one point from seven games early in the season. And O'Shea was club captain, and he said O'Shea just sorted him out and was his go-to guy. Uh, so he was full of praise for for Ireland's backroom man. Um, 
But in any in any massive and Stephen Kenny references in any massive Irish qualification campaign, there's always been big wins, away wins against these types of teams: Cyprus or, or uh, Georgia, Armenia, teams of this kind of Guys level. Greece are vastly superior to those teams, and, and as was evidenced by the fact that they just won a group with them. But go on. I, I, but I think well, I, I'd argue that Greece are, are probably similar to to maybe Georgia and Albania maybe that, that year and Armenia I, I don't know if they're much far further above that I, th- I, I look did they not have the top scorer in the Eredivisie yeah look a player at Liverpool we have a man banging in goals in the Premier League it doesn't mean is it you know well we, you know we've got one player who's played 15 games in the Premier League yeah <laughs> who are getting we had a full match there where we had no players at all playing in the Premier it's League it's true it's true I, I just think you, you need to be winning in a way big away game like this to, to really have a a push with the team and to, to go for qualification like, and Stephen Kenny will know that the Gibraltar game all of a sudden on on Monday if you if you lose this game becomes it's must win and, and Ireland will probably win that match at home but uh, yeah, it's must, it is must win any, either way no matter what happens yeah. it just adds pressure doesn't it um, I think Kenny was referencing the, the two goals we scored against Latvia recently where you had 26 p- uh, passes in the build up to one of them 20 passes in the build up to, build up to another one so at least there's there's something that's happening with this Irish team and they're scoring goals that we haven't been used to maybe them seeing um, but does, does a loss on Friday change anything for the rest of the qualification period? I know that the not in terms of like the actual like obviously a loss affects the rest of the qualification period but I mean in terms of like it depends on the on the loss, really, doesn't it? Does it I was just going to say that though. People have been saying that. Does it? Does it matter? Like the so nature of the loss. If it's one nil. It's tight. We've played really well. I think there's devastation. Well, if it's three nil and it's comprehensive and we don't show up, you know, if we look tired in the heat, even though we've done all our stuff. So we're ranked 49th in the world, and uh, Greece are ranked 51st. Mm. So there's like 52nd, rather. Uh, so like, there's a hair's breadth between Ireland and Greece. I, yeah, you know, I wouldn't be making us favourites to. Um, and, and a lot of those players went weeks and weeks without f- playing football until they got together in Bristol. Yeah, um, is that a good thing or a bad thing? At the end of the season, I can't tell because like they've obviously played a gazillion games to get to this point of their careers, and is a month and a half out of action, or three months out of action, or eight months out of action in some cases. Is that a disaster, or is it like no big deal? Does it leave them refreshed? I think it very much depends on a the players individually and also the team itself and how they're being managed like it, I don't know you look at the GA example a lot of people said that the break did teams like Mayo good you might say the results after that said it didn't do them all that well but you know I think it it's such a hard thing to quantify unless you're in with those players every single day to actually know how much it has affected them and even if they come out and don't play great on Friday, I don't know how much of that can be put down to having a break. I mean, we keep saying that we need to give players more breaks anyways. so It's it's one of those things. I think that they have enjoyed being in the hotel in the camp together. Callum O'Dowd referenced that during the week. It almost feels like tournament vibes in the build-up to this Greece game, where they're having a lot of time together, a lot of downtime together, playing, I don't know what they're doing, in the, in the, do they have a pool table or whatever in the hotels, but it, it's probably a good thing for them that they've been in this little camp in the build-up. I mean... It's, it can only improve your focus and concentration when you have nine days in a, in a warm weather experience before a, a big match like this. Yeah, we're talking ourselves into all sorts of... <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I thought it was been interesting, like, just reading the different interviews, though, coming out for players. Um, like, Troy Parrott was in the paper today. Uh, Callum O'Dowda, Nathan Collins was in yesterday. There's been a couple of others as well. There seems to be a kind of introspectiveness or something to this to a couple of the players and the way they're talking because like a lot of them either haven't had great seasons or you know maybe their contract situation isn't all that certain or they've been suffering with injuries 
and I don't know, there's just been reading some of the interviews they've been given, there seems to be a maturity or a, an acceptance of where they're at, but also a real want to push on. And I'm not saying that's necessarily going to reflect right now for like the Greece game on Friday. I just, I don't know, is that an, a byproduct of the fact they've been in this camp with Stephen Kenny and whatever he is saying to them? Mm. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was an interesting trend throughout all the stuff that's been coming out from the team. Yeah. Generally, there's like one or two people that kind of come out and they're a bit like jokey or having the crack, whereas all the interviews seem quite um, reflective of where players are at for different reasons. Yeah, I think that that's the key point there that you made about them um, coming back from injury or out of the team. Like At the start of the year, we thought Nathan Collins was going to be you know, contending for a move to a, con- to a contender. And instead, he's not in the team. Um, and Troy Parrott was obviously clearly upstaged by Tom Cannon, who would have been in the squad if Tom Cannon had decided he was Irish, I think, ahead of Troy Parrott and if things had gone a different way. So, um, you know, Parrott's talking about getting back to Spurs and trying to impress Ange and how he's a Celtic fan and how that really is still his intention. And then they list off all the clubs that he's been on loan and he just hasn't done enough. Like, he's, he's not a Premier League striker. He's not of Premier League quality at the moment. That's not to say that he can't get some of that maturity into his game and become more aggressive and more ruthless and create better chances but it just hasn't happened for him yet so maybe Ange sees something in the way that only Ange can see Mm. and he he finds a role for Troy Parrott but um, it's getting squeaky bum time in terms of you know his his career so uh, he could do with a a good showing Um, yeah uh, uh, the likes of a Michael Obafemi as well like I was kind of saying yesterday I'd prefer to see if it is a choice between Mikey Johnston and Michael Obafemi I would like to see Mikey Johnston given an opportunity um, like he's just he's that lively player he, I think he's still playing his club football in Portugal yeah uh, with Victoria and used to the heat I don't know if that that's probably not something that they take into account Shane, you're very concerned about this heat I, I just know as someone who asked who, who had to play in heat in a, in a cup final in Monaghan a couple of weeks ago it's not easy and I'm not a professional footballer so these lads are more used to it um, but if a player is used to the heat then throw him in like why not well maybe maybe he comes on for the last 20 minutes yeah. he seems more like effective as a, as a bit part player at the moment um, I'm, I'm trying to be positive I'm looking at uh, Greece's results here so from the last couple of years uh, the World Cup qualifiers like drew with Spain away 1-1 uh, their home record is quite good like they beat Sweden 2-1 at home they lost away then in Athens with 10 men. Um, they only lost at home 1-0 to Spain in, the, in that qualifying campaign as well. Uh, and then the North, when uh, when they went to Greece, they lost 3-1. So, I don't know. But then again, their last match was the 27th of March, Greece at home, 0-0 draw against Lithuania uh, in a friendly match. So, that's a similar enough result that we would have achieved it at home against Lithuania, didn't we? Draw one all with them. So, we are very much on a par with them. Yeah, exactly. That's it. It's this is a toss of a coin game. Although they're mad favourites, we're they're slight, they're touching evens, and we're nearly as big as three to one for the game. Right. So uh, big outsiders for this, and uh, we'll get Billy Perth's team at around about eight fifty this morning. And here's what's coming up between now and ten o'clock for you on OTBAM. If you've any thoughts on this, by the way, you can leave a comment if you want. Uh, so coming up, we have Tommy Rooney's power rankings at eight o'clock. We'll bring you the sports pages at 8.35. Uh, one JD, please, with John Duggan and Virtual Insanity. And news breaking that Jay Monaghan is um, not currently the CEO uh, running day-to-day operations at the PGA Tour after a medical condition. As I said, Vinny's coming in at 10 to 9. We've got deal or no deal at the start of the transfer window, officially open today. Um, at 10 past 9, um, we're going to play out with Dennis Irwin, I think, are we? Uh, no, got Mark Oshie. 
Right. <laughs> He's trumped him. He's trumped him. He's only a Irish legend. Like I was a little bit star, not starstruck. That's the wrong word. But Irwin is one of those players when I was younger. Like when you have a fullback that takes free kicks and penalties, just adds a little bit of mystique and intrigue to the whole thing. Oh, that vastly improves his uh, his value to the team, and yeah. everybody appreciates him much more. He said that I was asking about the penalties thing and and free kicks. He said you have to naturally be good at free kicks, and he was. Like he practiced them, of course, but he was naturally good at them. And then when it came to penalties, he joined the club when Steve Bruce, of all people, was kicking penalties for United. Uh, Cantona came along, and then after that, um, like Teddy Sheringham, when he signs for United, is given the penalties, misses his first three, and then wow. Irwin is. Uh, Ferguson just says to Irwin, "It's it's you." Like so, sorry, I shouldn't have shouldn't have cheated on you with him. But you know, he, he's very posh. Yeah, and he's very glamorous. Yeah, we'll try Teddy. And for like a, you know, yeah, exactly. Um, but what a player. Um, like I don't know if un- underrated is the word you use for well, for Dennis, but so underrated is overrated is the yeah, cliche, right? Possibly. Uh, and what were you talking to him about? Uh, we, like we we discussed a lot of things. So that obviously it's a tough week for for Dennis Irwin as a you know a United fan with the the treble um, being trumped by Manchester City. Um, we possibly have a clip of of Irwin talking about Evan Ferguson here. So uh, of course we had to ask him about Evan Ferguson the week that is, um, and and of course John O'Shea's comments on our roadshow recently. Uh, cropped up so uh, this is a, a short clip of Dennis Irwin talking Evan Ferguson uh, given it's the week of the, the Greece uh, game as well this Friday for the Republic of Ireland about our own man and not to get the hype train going too much but uh, Evan Ferguson yeah. and, and look there are these constant links we had John O'Shea on a road show with us recently and he, he was suggesting he might potentially break Robbie Keane's goal scoring record at, at senior international level which is a big thing to say um, where, where do you think Evan Ferguson can go what, what's the ceiling for him well, Chazy knows him because Chazy's involved a bit more. Um, and if he's saying that, um, that means we've got a, a hell of a centre forward on our hands because Robbie Keane was a brilliant player. Um, it's an area we've been lacking for a number of years now. Um, a lot of our goals have come from centre halves and from set pieces. Um, great at it. He's at a really good club. He's learning the trade there, not just in goal scoring, but the way he links up as well. I think the manager at Brighton encourages uh, as much football to be played as possible in a different kind of style. Um, but yeah, he's he's going to be under so much pressure as a young lad here, particularly here for Ireland. In Brighton, I think he'd be fine. Um, but with Ireland, you know, he's the one that we've been waiting for, and uh, got a couple of big games ahead of us now. Uh, and let, let's hope that he scores. But very high praise from Shazy because he's seen a lot of good centre forwards, and Robbie Keane was a great centre forward. Banging the goals and scored one the other night in Soccer that Soccer aid, yeah, great goal in off the, the in off the post. He can still score. You never you never lose that. He didn't do the cartwheel, did he? I didn't see that, I don't know. Do a mini, mini cartwheel maybe for a man <laughs> of his age. Oh, he did do the cartwheel. That's uh, shots fired. Sorry. Yeah, you're going to you're gonna be getting... What was it? You're going to be getting in trouble. He totally did the cartwheel. Full-blown, like? Yeah. Not a, like a little tailor back version? No, he did the <laughs> rollover. It's, it's, I mean... Slower bit, probably, than... I mean, look, why, why are you an ages prick? <laughs> I don't know, because I'm young, because I'm still fresh. And you're not, though. You're, well, like, hey, you're get up there and it. do a cartwheel. We'll get Emma to yeah, throw on. the whole actually, thing on the frame. Car- I can't do a well, cartwheel. Well, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Sorry, Robbie. Apologies, Robbie. Man yeah. in the arena, not you. <laughs> I hadn't seen your... Uh, oh, what happened problem. when you scored a hat-trick that one time for Monaghan Town? Yeah, probably against some... Uh, sorry, Robbie's probably scored his goal past uh, an actor from The Only Way is Essex. It was soccer aid. Go goal, Tom. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, not that evil he was. Anyway, the most important point uh, <laughs> Dennis Irwin was there, kind of, you know, well, if that's what Chasey says, he's obviously seen a lot of them. Why are we talking? Why are you talking them up? John, why are you. Do you know? Let yeah. the, a lot of pressure on him, especially here with Ireland. But um, did see, Irwin did say there he's the player we've been waiting on. Oh, totally. We, we, there's nothing else. Um, so, tell me, uh, he does look like he's in good shape. 
Dennis. Yeah. Oh, proper neck. I think he's 57. Happy to put on the jersey. So that's Of course, he was plugging the, the United Athletic Bilbao uh, friendly match for later in the summer, August 6th. And um, They don't really need to plug that, do they? I suspect that's going to sell out yeah, straight away. Surely. Um, and the ticket price, I think, ranging from 35 to 85 for that match, depending on where you want to sit. Um, but yeah, it, it's one of those games you don't really have to plug. He's got a lovely gig, doesn't he? Like as ambassador for the club, just going around and doing does, all these. It doesn't mean he can't tell you what he really thinks about certain things because he obviously is a club employee. True, true. If you listen to the full interview, like he's, he is though quite, uh, albeit he can't say certain things, he's quite interesting on uh, on Ten Hag um, and, and the signings he made last year and, and how per the club were the season before last. Oh. Um, like which is... With Solskjaer? Yeah, the season they finished sixth. Uh, but not just six. It was just performance-wise. He said it just wasn't, wasn't anywhere near good enough. Um, but he, but he was he, like even even his memories of of Ruman with Roy Keane. He spoke because Roy Keane has spoken in the past about Ruman at club level and international level with uh, Dennis Irwin, and he said he was annoying because he used to. Dennis always wanted to t- turn on the the golf, and I put this to, to Dennis Irwin, and he said, "Well, Roy was just mad to watch Coronation Street." <laughs> so he's thrown Roy under a bus there, because I thought Roy was a, more of a rugby league man or. Bit of other sport, but you kind of see him enjoying something like Coronation Street. Yeah, yeah, you know, just everyone kind of shouting the drama. There's plenty of things for him to give off about and be like, "What is he doing?" Mm. So once he said it, I was like, "That makes sense." That Roy would be into Coronation Street, I think. Um, but he, he was he, even his memories of that treble team in in '99, um, and like just his his whole story about signing for United uh, was was incredible. Like six hundred twenty five thousand pounds from from Leeds. Um, I'm sorry, from Oldham. He was a trainee at Leeds. Um, but he's just, he's one of those players that you look back on. I was at his, I told him yesterday, I was at his 500th appearance for United, which was Paddy's Day 2001 at Old Trafford against Leicester. And like you think of all the trophies he's won um, in that red jersey. Like he was he was a veteran by the time the, the Champions League final in 1999 came around. I think he was 33 or 4. So he said he was able to appreciate it more maybe than some of the younger players. But then you look at Jack Grealish and he's appreciating the. Well, he didn't play well. No, he didn't play well, of course. Uh, and Irwin missed the FA Cup final in that treble year as well against Newcastle through injury um, I think we have a clip as well which which kind of sums up and it's done reasonably well on the social media as well for anyone who hasn't seen the full interview it's obviously up on youtube.com uh, forward slash off the ball but I guess that question of was Irwin rated was he underrated was he appreciated is he appreciated more now than he was back then so I put that question to Dennis have a look more appreciated as a, as a footballer now than maybe you were at, at the time because you, you, I know you were obviously appreciated back then I remember being at your, your 500th appearance I think it was for United at, it was Paddy's Day 2001 yeah, against Leicester yeah. I remember being at Old Trafford that day and think this is amazing to have an Irish player who's made this number of uh, appearances you, you regularly appear now in, in, in all time 11s for, for both club and country so do you feel like maybe now you're, you're more appreciated as, as, as opposed to how you were during your career? I, I think when I played I, I was in a bit of a bubble uh, I just wanted to do the very best I could for the amount of years I played so you, you kind of block out a lot of noises uh, and just get on with it um, and I think it's only when you, you, you come away from that and and particularly these days now they have so many polls and, and different things going on that obviously you, my name keeps getting resurfaced and all that which is brilliant because <laughs> um, and fans you know, come up to you even whether you're abroad even on holiday and you know so thanks for the memories and all that but it was a, when I look back and it, it was a great time to be not just a Manchester United player I, I, I was a Wolves player growing up mm. to finish two years with them and also to, to have like nine or ten great years with Ireland as well it was a great time to be a footballer from my point of view we didn't see it as a job um, you know I, uh, I had great people around me players we had we had good fun under great managers and uh 
uh, it was just a great time but it's good to look back on it now uh, I was not one for watching matches for years and years um, but obviously there's that many matches come on now you're kind of forced to watch it but yeah I probably appreciate it now 20 years down the line than I did when I played but the pro- that's probably my fault as well <laughs> yeah he is definitely more appreciated there's been yeah. a, a revision of his standing in the game yeah and he, like as I said to him there he's in, he's in all these all time 11s for, for club and for United and Ireland and I think right, rightfully so it's hard to oust him from that left back position Patrice Ebra uh, was pretty good yeah he was decent do you think there's anyone playing now that will be the same? Particularly on a United front? Mm. Kind of tough with the teams they've had over the last couple of years. Yeah. but like Rashford has a chance, right? If he stays and was to have the, yeah. that burst of form that he had this year extended out over uh, in the all-time eleven periods. Yeah, like, maybe. sorry, the, I, I mean, is Erwin all-time or is Erwin Premier League? Because obviously all-time has Charlton best in law in it. True, and, yeah, yeah. I mean, if it squeeze other people in well he's certainly in the Premier League era like he's arguably in the, in the Premier League 11 isn't he since 92 um, I, don't, I haven't seen that I haven't come back and looked at the yeah. competition for it I don't know like that left back position he appears a lot Ashley Cole is obviously someone who probably Ashley Cole's appears in plenty yeah. of them um, yeah, and again there is that Irish perspective we probably do throw Erwin into a lot of these things but, but I mean he, he deserves it you look at his career he was at Leeds from 83 to 86 then he had the four years with Oldham before he went to Old Trafford 12 years at Manchester United and then he finished his career with uh, three, uh, three seasons at Wolves so 2 to 04 like, and excelled at Gaelic football and hurling as a kid like played at Croke Park more than one occasion I think he, he once marked Niall Quinn in a match did he? at Croke Park uh, it must have been a similar vintage yeah uh, I remember hearing that story before I'll have to look that up um, but he's just he doesn't he doesn't look 57 Dennis even now like he's he's, he's a great nick um, and of course he was feeling a little bit downbeat at Pep Guardiola in the, the week that Manchester City have just had um, and as he said it's hard to compare those two eras like Quinn's 56 yeah similar, similar vintage um, and even discussing Pep Guardiola and Alex Ferguson's legacy he was he was keen to stress these are two very different managers in two very different eras and he's probably right it's probably a tired argument and it's one that I've probably asked guests about and, and yet it is tired it, like, there probably is no point comparing the City team of, of now to the I mean, there's no point in anything though Shane we're all going to die in a you know, burning <laughs> conflagration so that's a fair point at the same time there's a, a long show to fill every morning wow. so asking some stupid sports questions is actually a totally legitimate way to spend your time in this earth yeah 100%. I mean I don't know yeah no it's fair am I wrong no, you're, you're not wrong. Definitely not wrong. We'd all have to quit the next like hour if we believe that wasn't true. Though, to be fair, <laughs> he was also he, he discussed Derek Cantona and just what it was like to share a dressing room with him. And like I heard someone else asking him off air then afterwards about I swear Cantona's doing a a one man show in Dublin this this year. Or he's, I think he's it's in the Liberty Hall where he's singing and performing music. And I'm uh, so fascinated by this. It's uh, Dennis was unaware and he said he's singing. Like Dennis said, he'd never heard him sing. I, I said to someone yesterday, um, I would pay probably upwards of 100 quid to go into a room of a few hundred uh, people and watch Eric Cantona walk on stage, put his collar up, say the Seagulls line, and then just stand there for an hour and a half and milk the applause. I'd probably pay upwards of 100 quid because that's that's performance, isn't it? It's um, just to see his facial expressions. He's one of those fascinating sports people I would literally pay to just watch and do nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, episode 44 of Football Fans Are Weird. <laughs> I was going to say, you kind of half sound like every 
City fan or every just general football fan on Twitter the last couple of days being like, oh, Jack Grealish, what a lad. Or else the deranged Arsenal fans who were saying that Mikel Arteta is encouraging all the team to settle down and marry their partners so that they won't have a playboy lifestyle next year and they'll just concentrate on winning the Premier League. And like these were tweets going around with like 40, 50,000 likes. And I was like, who comes up with this? How strange can you get as a football fan? So we've encouraged them to get married or, or have kids or both? Uh, just to settle down. Settle. Just settle down. Because I think a couple of them got married. Obviously, it's the off-season. It's probably the only time they actually have in a very, very packed calendar to do these sort of things. Mm. And all the fans are like, oh, yeah, elite mentality. Arteta is like next level thinking of this. And I was like, you're really clutching for straws. I thought when the dog was bad, but this this definitely takes the biscuit. Mm. This was a traditional trope in the 80s. Alex Ferguson would have been a big advocate of the players settling down and encouraging them to get married at 2021 so that then they can have a divorce at 30 or 32 whenever their football career ends. It's like one of the reasons why football uh, footballers have that massive um, and sports people generally have that massive divorce rate. But it was a real thing. It was definitely like uh, the... Um, because I think a lot of I think a lot of the not Ferguson but a lot of the managers would have been big drinkers themselves and realised that like you know this is a bad thing and one of the things that stops them is a, a marriage and kids and responsibility and that was how the, the thing went so and of course he had a- Ted obviously has decided to the dessert and sorry I wasn't quite sure from the way the story was told if this was true that Arteta had oh, said like this oh like there is no there is absolutely no proof of it whatsoever it's literally just that three or four of them got married in the last couple of weeks or got engaged and fans just took this as it wasn't even a news line it was just fans being like okay yes we're away Mm. it's like this is why we're going to win the Premier League next year and I was like I think we need to do a little bit more (laughs) elite mentality it's funny how like and Alex Ferguson had the issue then with David Beckham and uh, getting into a relationship and then married with the, the most famous pop star in the UK at the time. That's and the opposite of settling down, though. But then, ironically, they have become the most solid celebrity couple possibly in the world. Um, Posh and Bex? Do you follow the news, Shane? Yeah, well, I mean, they're, they're still together, aren't they? They've raked kids. Okay. I don't, I don't follow their personal <laughs> lifestyle. Like, I'm not into the salacious, juicy details. Maybe you are, Jeremy. you never heard of Rebecca Luce? Of course. Yes, yes. Okay. But Let's I mean, move on quickly, because this is a sports <laughs> show. <laughs> But anyway, OTBAM with you that loud. Got the ultimate shaver, your money back. Neon Night Edition is available now. It's 8 o'clock this morning. If you want to get in touch, we'd love to hear from you. 087-9180-180 is the WhatsApp number. Tommy Rooney is standing by with the power rankings. Somebody's critics, these pundits. Generally speaking, I'd be a fan of off the ball. Exactly. And like Tommy knows his football, obviously, listening to football pod the odd time. And when I was looking at the power rankings and I thought that Jesus Owen would still be feeling the effects of these mushrooms. But they just dismiss you like, you, you know, you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion. Tommy Rooney, good morning to you. So, easier or harder to put the power rankings together as more evidence comes to light? Easier. Yeah, I think so. It's getting there, Chair. Um, Yeah, it's getting there. And I think a lot of people seem to be, just from chatting to people over the last couple of weeks, they seem to be in the same boat and reading different pieces. Like, it feels like every team has flaws and has issues and nearly by default, because of their consistency so far and how impressive they've been, Galway are a lot of people's number one. So, I don't know. Basically, everybody, there a bit quicker. everybody's copying your power rankings is what's going on. <laughs> well, listen, they are the official Gaelic Football power rankings. So, I'm just I'm just fulfilling <laughs> a duty here. I'm just covering for Owen Sheehan. Yeah, okay. Well, um, let's get through this because I've, I've some bones to pick with you and your football pods. Oh, uh, oh. Okay. Uh, 
co-conspirators. But let's get through the Talton Cup bracket. But isn't it? Isn't actually the Talton Cup bracket because some Talton Cup teams, uh, you know, probably believe they should be in the Sam McGuire, and that's certainly what we're getting from the power rankings. But let's go through these, Tommy. Yeah, okay. A um, couple of changes at the back end. There's a couple of big wins last week. We've got our quarterfinal lineup for the Talchin Cup. You'll notice that Wexford and Carlow have moved significantly. Leitrim and Wicklow have moved back. So we've got London 33rd, Waterford 32nd, Tipperary 31st, New York 30th, Leitrim 29th, Wicklow, who got promoted, 28th. Wexford have moved up to 27th, Carlow 26th, Longford, who didn't make it through, 25th. Leisure in 24th place, if we go to slide three. Fermanagh, who got promoted, have slid back due to their championship performances to 23rd. Limerick are rooted at 22nd, but I do think that they've kind of steadied the ship under Mark Fitzgerald ever since Ray Dempsey departed, or was uh, the players got rid of him, you could say, um, in March. Antrim, Andy McEntee's Antrim, as they've been come to known, be known, um, are in 21st place. They're up two. Offaly, 20th. They're out now for the year. They're finished. Sligo have slipped back one to 19th because the Royals, County Mead, Mighty Mead are up to 18th, just behind down in 17th who have slipped back. They're facing Cavan this weekend who are in 16th. I think Sligo are hard done by not to be above everybody because they've actually performed really well, I would argue, so far in Sam Maguire. But to go back to um, the points on, on the first page, right, so Wicklow are 28th and Wexford are 27th. At the end of the year, what are we going to say about these two teams and who's had the... Um, um, correct me if I'm wrong here, but Wexford are still Division 4 next season, right? Yeah, Wexford and Carlow are still Division 4, but I think Carlow have played six championship games this year. Do you know? Like, you've just got to give credit where credit is due. These teams are using these new systems and they're developing their players. Um, they're getting banged for their book. They're getting championship matches. Um and they're, they're pretty close games that they're winning. Like Wexford kicked 122 from play at the weekend to beat Offaly. Offaly who bet Mead. Offaly who performed so well in the Leicester semi-final. Um, so I just think it, it's a good sign that these teams are, uh, I suppose, improving after the league. And my point here is reflected in the power rankings. This, these competitions are actually proving beneficial to teams who know how to use them or who are using them properly. And so this is the first year of it, but I, I, mm. I, I just am not. I, I'm really worried that the narrative is going to be like, oh, this is a failure. We're bored of these games. I can't learn anything from them. This is nonsense. And I'm like, oh, I don't think that's true. This is the league section. So round robin is like a, a phrase that you know, Champions League. It's a league section. The whole point of this is to get the best teams arriving in the quarterfinals. Mm-hmm. Are, are in the knockout round which is like if, we, if we'd if we called it wildcard weekend and branded it properly as yeah, opposed to preliminary quarterfinals yeah, exactly the boring <laughs> shit that you have to wade through before you get to the good stuff like preliminary who likes the preliminaries nobody likes the preliminaries like yeah. everybody wants the main event if they'd branded that properly we'd be really excited about the fact that the knockout football is imminent and everybody will be arriving at that stage of the season fairly because the, if, you, if you remember the the cry wasn't that we just want to watch the best teams play each other it was also that it was completely unfair that the Ulster teams had to wade through miles and miles and miles of muck and bullets and warfare to get to the point where then they would be picked off by teams who were completely fresh from having played challenge matches in Leinster and Munster in particular and now it's even. And when we get to the quarterfinals, semifinals and wildcard weekend, it's going to be great. Jer, I totally agree with you. 
And I don't know whether this is the bone that you wanted to pick up the football pod, and maybe yeah. I do represent the two lads. I disagree with the lads. Uh, and you were you were you were too gentle with them. You need to you need to kill them. <laughs> okay, I, I got accused this week of uh, being too afraid of Paddy Anders to chair the football pod. So uh, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe I need to stand up to the wolf. Um, look at. The other thing I'd say is that there, there's a little bit of fatigue. Go on, uh, but uh, but the fatigue. <laughs> But no, no, but I think that's understandable, Jer, because. But I also think that the narrative is going to be at the end of this. Exactly. Who's exactly. fatigued the by it? These are the league games. These are league matches. We don't. Have, every league game doesn't have to be amazing. This is a league. Whether uh, it's supposed to be the championship, but it's actually a league. We with, like the way it's formed is you play a bunch of games against the same teams in your group. Everybody plays the same number of teams. That's that's that is the definition of a league. And then the best teams come yes. out of that into the knockout section, and that's the bit where you go. Okay, what's the quality of the competition like, and what have we seen, and what have we learned from it? Well, I, I think my point I was going to make there is the issue is, and the narrative that I think is going to be at the end of this is, what was the point of April? What was the point of those thirty odd games in the provincials, completely imbalanced? They got in the way. There was so much going on. We were trying to read into them, but what was the point of it all? I think that's what the narrative is going to be after this, and I think that's what the point of this bloody elongated, truncated championship has been. It's supposed to be a Trojan horse, like. The GA had a far superior format in Proposal B, but it was a touch too radical. So it was shot down and defeated. And this was greenlit and pushed through without much of a discussion and much of a debate. And it's probably going to last for a year or two. But hopefully, unless I'm completely wrong, and if I'm wrong, I might just give up on GA and go and follow another sport or something. Jimmy Guinness wants like, back to straight knockout. For the oh, top sixteen, this right. has to be the future. But we just need to move the provincials out of the way and and reduce its importance. Now I'll probably get shot for saying that, but like that is clear as day what the issue is right here. Well, you say what what was the point of those provincial games? But like Derry fans uh, this year, will here be we go with Ulster. No, but uh, yeah. no, but hold on. Oh, Derry fans will be oh, Derry fans will be delighted to have won back to back Ulster titles. That means Ulster something. Ulster says no. Treat, no. Treat, oh, fear hold that. on. Treat, right, okay. treat the Ulster. Arr. Treat the, Never. Why can't you treat the provincials as a separate Never. competition, which it is to the All Ireland competition? I agree. I, agree. Just I know. Them. No, I know. Yeah. No, totally. And I agree. And it should be a provincial. It and, should be a separate competition. And offer like incredible prize money for yeah. team holidays. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Treat it like the FA Cup. Yeah. You know, stick it away earlier in the year. Where the make it a massive thing. Warm up. Move the leagues on a little bit. Get the football in better weather. Like Andy McNeil was talking about it during the week, you've got such important games in January and February where you can barely kick the ball past the forty-five because of the wind and the rain and the yeah, muck. Yeah, and like there's like there's more attendances. There was more people at Galway Mayo in January than there was at Mayo Loud on one of the most beautiful days of the year two weeks ago in McHale Park, <laughs> and that just shows you that people are mad to go to football, but the format is a little bit all over the place, and we'll get there. I, I think we will get there, I, and I, I'm willing to. I do think that we have to like understand a little bit about attendance is when the weather gets really good the family yeah. are going to like watch the match on their phones or listen to the game on the radio because there's other stuff that needs to be done and uh, you know so but if there's loads of games on there's also there's also a geographical thing here like you two lads are from Leinster so it's no wonder you're giving out about the provincial championship like the last <laughs> the time someone other than Dublin won it, Nixon was president probably like you need to just <laughs> calm the ham here like some people enjoy the provinces, I personally enjoy. But, Shane, them. but we're not I'm saying not, you can have. I it. don't want to take away the provinces. Yeah. I just want to take away the archaic, 150, archaic hundred and fifty year old 
control that it has on the championship is completely ill-balanced. Mm. Jerry has said it plenty of times. We have 32, okay, 33 counties involved in the football. It's perfectly set up to be broken down. Yeah, I, I agree just, with you. I, I, I made fair. Like Armagh this year came through the preliminary round, got to the Ulster final. They're going to go through the preliminary quarterfinals of uh, the round robin stage. Like Armagh have to play way more matches than Galway have to play. And sure, you're saying they won, they get to be rewarded. But like, it's because of the way that the 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 who drew the geographical lines back in the day. It's because of the way that the provinces are broken up. Like that's the reason. Like we're dictated about something that isn't fair. The planters. Yeah, I, I do think. <laughs> like, like, yeah, I, I agree with you that the 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 league position should dictate what you know the remainder of the championship. But then also, like, if you put the provincials too early and and you take away the the meaning behind them. I, there's a danger. Oh, that keep it, your meaning. Well, there's a keep danger becomes meaning. the Mechanic Cup. Like, the, you, do you want the Ulster Championship to, to become the Mechanic Cup? You love the you love the Mechanic Cup. I do actually, as much yeah. as you love the Ulster Championship. You like you actually do, and like it's amazing, it's fantastic, and you have that. Uh, there's that unbelievable colour with it, but like that'll never be lost. Like the Connacht Championship is really good as well mm. on one side, you know. It is like, and then the other side with Connacht, Leitrim, New York, and London is really competitive. It's just that there's such a gap between. Those Division 3 and 4 teams and yeah. Division 1 teams. I think the actual answer to all of this is a third tier, to be honest. And that would be... That Possibly, all, yeah. all the games would be completely cutthroat. And then you could still have your preliminary quarterfinal and you could have the Division 3 champions in a preliminary wildcard weekend, your Division 2 champions in a preliminary wildcard weekend and yeah. against the worst teams. Or instead okay. of making the 12 team, teams go through, make it 10 teams go through. And again, you've wildcard weekend where the bottom four are playing and the... Um, top six are through automatically to quarterfinals so there's ways yeah. to make this to tweak it so that like people are oh, I, I, I think that the, this wasn't designed to stop dead rubbers really this was designed to give everybody the same number of games and and then you just need to make sure that from that point forward um, we have the best yeah, right. in it I, I did go too easy on the lads this week in the football pod I guess I wasn't ready to have that, that debate yeah fair enough Fair enough. I mean, we shouldn't. We we're getting we're getting sucked into it here too. I think it's one of the. We just get your line back there, Tommy. Um, is having a bit of a trouble with this. Paddy Andrews is uh, is dealing with the Wi-Fi there. The yeah, yeah, it's, triggering it's, it. it's typical dubs. They're they're interrupting the message. You know, yeah. somebody's put his hand up and said, "Well, oh, oh, hang on a second. Somebody's, back. somebody's yeah. giving out about us. Yeah, there's like a bat symbol coming from Dublin. It's just the, the is it the left arm? Does it matter which arm you put up when you're holding the ball? And you're like, oh, we're killing the game for a minute or two here. But that when they do it, it's cynical and, and brilliant. When yeah. Ross Common do it, it's like, oh, it's the death of the game. It's the bubonic plague, the conic plague. Yeah. What? Did the Dubs have been doing this for years? Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe the narrative after that game. By the way, the, the, the amount that's been discussed about that Ross Common Dublin game. Oh, we got to change the rules. Change the rules. Or maybe just push up on them. Do you know? Yeah. Just push up on them. As a manager, you have to be reactive. Davy Burke didn't play like that against Sligo. And they kicked an outrageous number of scores from play. It double, to beat to beat Dublin or get a draw against Dublin as it was. Ooh, played them at their game. We need to we need to do a separate power rankings for the managers. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, Davy Burke's up there, isn't he? Yeah, he's the Roberto De Zerbi of this whole thing. Give us um, give us an L power rankings from uh, if you're out there watching us at the moment. YouTube.com forward slash off the ball. You can leave a comment there. You can tweet us at off the ball am. Give us a power ranking of the managers. We'll stick the graphics up here and we'll come back. We'll get Tommy back up as soon as we can. So um, slide three, Cavan are sixteenth, up one. Westmead are fifteenth, Kildare are fourteenth, Louth are thirteenth, Clare are twelfth, down one. Cork have gone ahead of them. They're in 11th. Donegal, clinging on in there, in fairness to them, are 10th. Monaghan are 9th. And then we get to the first page. Armagh down 1 to 8th. Tyrone up 1 to 7th. 
several people have talked about Tyrone being potential uh, mm-hmm. All Ireland contenders in this. Um, Andy McIntyre did, didn't he? He did, yeah. Roscommon are sixth, Derry fifth, Dublin fourth, Mayo third, Kerry second, Galway first. Tommy, you're back. Sorry, lads. Yeah, I think the provincial councils cut the uh, commissioner. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know if you got my point there, but I just think I'm a little bit. I just think I parked it mentally the Fair structures, enough. and I think we're going to go with it. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I heard you go through the rankings there. A couple of movements. Cork jumped Clare. I think that's well deserved. Tyrone jumped Armagh. Um, Rory Larmer making the point to me this week that Monaghan should be ahead of Armagh given the state of their. Um, Armagh's championship so far but I just think Armagh pushed Derry so far and they switched it on that day that they deserve to be in the top 8 Well Monaghan are coming beat Donegal this weekend and they'll move up It feels it feels like Armagh put everything into the Ulster Championship and are a little bit broken by the experience Possibly Yeah Possibly Ger. But then the performance like, They came so close like there was definitely a hangover like Again, another penalty shootout, similar to last year against Galway. They came so close that there there is a bit of a kind of hangover from that, you know? A question, uh, listening to the football pod yesterday, struck me when um, there's, there's certainty that Galway will beat Armagh, right? Is it Galway Armagh this weekend? Uh, it is yeah, Galway Armagh yeah. this weekend, yeah. Um, yeah. There's consensus, but yeah, I, yeah. Well, I but don't know. Paddy seemed pretty certain, but I, was, I, did, I did wonder, like, what happens in the alternative universe where the penalty shootout goes Armagh's direction. Are Armagh top of the power rankings this year? Is there like a... It, it, was, that, was that sliding doors Armagh. moment? So, yeah. so severe in the All-Ireland semi-final last year, I'm talking about, not the, not the Derry one. But if that, that the impact is a full page on the power rankings. You go from first to eighth. Like, are Galway free now because... They reach an all Ireland final and they're they're fulfilling their potential and they feel better about themselves because, you know, everything that they they thought was possible became possible last year. Whereas with Armagh, it's like oh, we're slightly cursed somewhat. What, what's uh, it's an interesting point, and I'm looking here for my first power rankings of the year. But if I'm not mistaken, I think I had Armagh in fifth at the start of the year, and I had Galway maybe in third or fourth. Yeah, they were definitely high enough, um, Shane. So like. Like, what does that tell you? I suppose it tells you that it was massive last year, but the big thing this year has been the manner in which Galway have developed their squad, the manner in which they've brought back all-stars and Ian Burke, you could say, or Peter Cook, who's made such an impact at inter-county level, or John Maher, who's come in from the cold to be one of the most impressive midfielders in the country, or the young defenders that they've brought in to cover for Silk and Malloy. And while Armagh have... You know, Turbot has established himself. It's, it's by and large still a similar team to what we saw last year. Actually, they've tried to add a bit more steel. They've kind of gone a different way about it. They've tried to kind of reduce the explosiveness and the madness and the chaos that they brought last year because they know they can switch that on. And I think they tried to add a bit more steel and consistency this year because that looked like, from afar, one of their biggest issues last year. So, okay, like I think the year started with Galway third and Armagh fourth like I gave them both a lot of kudos for what we saw last year Armagh possibly too much but Armagh have slipped back to eighth and Galway moving to first by virtue of what we've seen throughout the year if Armagh had beaten Derry in the Ulster final they'd be fifth right now yeah but a lot of, that's the thing a lot of teams put so much emphasis on the so Armagh had to, had to win an Ulster title under McGinney. Do you know they haven't won an Ulster title since 2008 so they put so much emphasis on that Derry the pressure was off a little bit because they'd won last year and their focus will be on the All-Ireland Championships this year. But I think Armagh losing that Ulster final in the manner in which they did has impacted them mentally since. Because 
they haven't won it in such a long it's same as Clare and the Hurling 98 is the gap like all of a sudden there's a mental thing that comes in every single year um, for some for some teams that so badly want to win their province and I'm yeah, one of them there's obviously a savage level of disappointment there and it was natural like there was going to be like Armagh started plenty of their games quite well but there's just something slightly I don't know whether it's a confidence thing or just couple of sliding doors moments not going their way like momentum is a really really funny thing in sport whether it be in the middle of a game or the middle of a season sometimes all you need is something to click and you can take off from there like we're all looking at Kerry and like I don't know whether we're seeing signs of 09 where they kind of stuttered their way through you know qualifiers and got by and next thing bang the Dubs and Crow Park in the quarter final and they explode and they play some of the best football that we've seen Kerry play across that generation in those last couple of games so across that decade so like momentum is so funny and especially in a year like this it, it could happen for him I just I don't know yeah, I, I, look that is the one thing that I, I is just giving me pause for thought is that a team can suddenly find form find a shape stuff that they've been working all year finally drops because they've had the extra three or four weeks and it's been honed in match conditions so there's, there's two sides to what happens over the next couple of weeks if you end up in the uh, wildcard weekend, you have to win that. So you're playing this week, you play wildcard weekend next week, and then you're playing uh, all in a quarterfinal the week after. And then you have a week off for semifinal and a week off for the final. But over that three-week block where you're playing game, 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 you know, we've seen Mayo in the past with their style of play come alive when they had to play uh, uh, qualifier, draw, replay, uh, draw replay <laughs> to get to like you know the 13 game season they had uh, which would basically would basically would be what Armagh would have to do this year if they if they make it I don't think that Armagh had the same quality of football that that Mayo team did and they hadn't quite had the same level of experience that that Mayo team did but uh, it, it, put it this way look at there been if Armagh finished third in their group right they they're likely in the preliminary quarterfinal to play away to as things currently stand Kerry Monaghan or Ross Common, like, do you fancy them in any of those games away from home? I don't know. Like, that's where Armagh are at, at the moment. Well, it's, it's not where they're at yet. And okay, it's a good point, Shane. They could end up playing those teams, but and I know I have Galway in first place this weekend, and I know they've been ruled out, and I know they don't have Rain O'Neill yet. But there's still a lot to be decided at the weekend, and mm. the lads are very dismissive on the pod this week. They've they picked the favourites for all the games. If you back all the teams the lads back and you put a fiver on it, you'll only get 20 back. And that's from eight games this weekend. So the, the, the favourites are being touted and predicted. But if we do see a shock this weekend, and if if it goes slightly the other way and Armagh get a slice of luck or, the, you know, the door opens on the right side, Armagh could finish top of this group by virtue of score difference. And then the championship is blown open once more. Like, same thing can happen with Roscommon and, Sly- and, and Dublin this weekend. If Roscommon managed to beat Kildare and Kildare roll over by more than Sligo roll over for Dublin, well then, we're going to have the Dubs in second place, we're going to have Kerry in second place, we're going to have Galway in second place. Mm. And then we're thinking, oh, this is a bit wild this weekend. Can I just briefly talk about uh, 09, which is the one that uh, everybody talks about. Oh, Kerry, you know, that's that. If Sheehan was here uh, instead of wherever he is, he'd be like, that's the one that crowns them the winners of the team of the decade they, they, beat, they beat Dublin who <laughs> let's face it were shite right in, in mm-hmm. 09 the, the Gilroy revolution hadn't kicked in properly they still had no. the rest of the, the, the chaos years team there was a lot of lads with collars up and white boots and then in the semi-final they beat Mead and then the final they beat yeah. Cork I mean come on yeah. what 
That's like handy. And they were poor against me. Yeah, I think I maybe I misspoke earlier. Maybe it was a weight where they played the best football of, of their best footballer that decade. Yeah. But look, they were a great um, team, full of great lads. I, I, I greatly admire them. But Toronto the team of the decade, we all not. Anyway, uh, that's definitely sure. Uh, I agree. And you know, we're on the same boat with that. We've been there over the last couple of years. But yeah, one hundred percent. Okay, so the Dubs, Dubs can't get no love. What are they fourth? <laughs> like Colin Alley in studio yesterday was like, "Who's going to win?" It's like Matt Dolan. That Colm is brow beaten by Dublin over the last couple of years. He's come so close. Like Colm and and Andy McIntyre's Mead, who you've both spoken in the last week, they had one and a half good halves of football against the Dubs in Championship. They were getting somewhere um, at times. You know, they had that Leinster final where they kept the Dubs to four points at half time, and they only kicked four themselves. Like they're scared. And I don't blame them for thinking that the Dubs are going to come and beat them. I just, I haven't seen it yet. And I have to go off what I've seen. Clare were very poor the last day. Clare, the mind boggles why they didn't just do what they'd done in Crow Park. Like twice already this year, Clare had pushed the Dubs to a point. And they just, they just didn't execute what they had previously done. Uh, I don't even think Dublin had to be that much better. Like, Bugler's having a great year. Um, Colly Pascal stood up the last day bit more freshness in the forwards but like the injuries are building up here I just I'm not seeing where to put them yet they're still creeping their way so if they beat presumably they'll beat Sligo by a bigger margin than Common beat Kildare by this weekend you'd imagine on paper anyway so that that puts Dublin straight into a quarter final and all of a sudden they're there like I think so it's a big caveat yeah yeah, I think so much depends on whether or not McCaffrey is fit and reaches a full level of fitness because they like it's ridiculous to say that a a team is dependent on one individual but at this level the difference between a Dublin with him and without him is enough for them to you've got to completely change your game plan basically at five or six times during the game a score is going to come off him or he's going to get a score and that's the difference between 116 and 112 or 111 and those five points that's the margin of victory somewhere in that is the difference between losing a game against Kerry Galway Tyrone Mayo and winning a game against those and that's the like that's how good he is if he's fit I think this is the year and it's quite obvious looking at the movement of the power rankings this year there are no great teams but this is a year where a great player might win in All-Ireland for their county but it's also the year where one key injury can completely throw off a team and you're looking at Galway they lose one of their star players maybe that completely imbalances them if Kerry lose somebody we're not even going to say his name like nobody else is really firing the way they are if the Dubs lose one or two key players if McGuigan isn't there for Derry you know very quickly a hole or two in a team is going to really trouble them this championship Um, with that in mind right there is also an opportunity for. it feels a little bit like Tyrone kind of washed up out of nowhere with uh, that incredible subs bench and it was a weird constellation of new management team everybody available for one season and one season only and they came out of nowhere smash and grabbed won the All-Ireland and disappeared were out of the competition at one stage because of Covid and then managed to get their way back in like when you think about it when you think about it it's absolute banana stuff but this could be a year for a bananas winner like absolutely if, if I'm Davey Burke I'm like why not why not us it feels like 2010, Ger, and I've said it since the start of the year. It feels like that, that there's a couple of teams in the brink, a couple of counties that could break through. There could be a, a Donegal or a Mayo 
you know, in the periphery here that aren't quite ready yet, but we're going to see them over the next couple of years take over. There could be another Dublin on the way, but they're just not ready to go yet. Or it could be a year where a Downer or a Cork get to an All-Ireland final, like we saw at the end of the decade, and we never see them again for the next decade after that. So maybe we're going to see a Roscommon Derry All-Ireland final. Or Monaghan. Monaghan risk common Shane. I was going to say, credit needs to go to managers who come in and in their first year, Kevin McStay and Mayo, Davy Burke and Roscommon, Vinnie Corey and Monaghan, like three counties that, with all due respect, fancy their chances of getting to to an All-Ireland final. Did you say Davy Burke and Monaghan as well? Was there a... Davy Burke and Roscommon, of course. But like... Maybe I just heard it. But first year managers, you know, straight away coming in and adopting their their game plan. Well, sorry, Tommy, while the uh, the line was down, we were saying you should do a power rankings of the managers and like, uh, they'd they'd all be going great guns at the moment. That'd be tough, Jerry. I'd have to do a power rankings of the manage- management teams, I think, because of the importance of who's around who. I you think that's have, very, very important. You must be very well connected to some of these management teams because I haven't yet brought up a manager when you have, oh, oh, that. I, oh. I think you're in some coaching WhatsApp groups. <laughs> Colin Nally revealed to us yesterday that the coaches all no. share information oh, yes. and I suspect that you've been co-opted into some of them. Yeah, well, look, there's a there's a coach's WhatsApp group, there's an analyst's WhatsApp group, there is a manager's WhatsApp group. They all exist. I haven't infiltrated any of them. But I just think that we've learned over the last couple of years how important it is, who you have around you, who you have doing what. The manager of an inter-county team is such a big job that you need to have the right people around you. And who, we're seeing that. Who was the best team? Are like, you thinking Keanu O'Neill in Galway or thinking um, the Mayo oh, all-star backroom team or Mark McHugh in, like, in Roscommon? Like Keanu O'Neill and Joyce seem to be the perfect marriage. McStay seems to have nailed about what he has and the on-field coaches in Buckley and Rochford and what Mulligan and McHale are bringing to the table. Like, last year it felt like Jack O'Connor and Paddy Talley were the perfect balance, mm. you know? Like, Dublin's water carriers this year are Pat Gilroy and Brian Cullen. That just shows you the strength of what they have. Like, they've been delisted from the match programme so that they can carry water. So, like, you know, it's unbelievable, like. In that that um, shenanigans is uh, one of my favourite uh, wrinkles in GA history. It's like, oh, you can't have those as their mayor furnace. Grant, well, they won't be officially selectors then. That's grand. We, we see what you you're know. doing and we've uh, managed our way around it. It's like... I'll give you my, I'll give you my power rankings They're, of the management teams. to be just the way they are right now. Same, same as the teams? No, nah, I'm only joking. There'll be a bit more movement. Maybe we'll have a look at that. Yeah, maybe we'll have a look at that. Okay. That, that can be one of our down weeks. Um, okay, so go air one, carrier two. Are carry a little bit high? Like, I don't know what you want me to do here because... I want the Dublin Tire. I'm saying there's things in the armour, but you, you get credit for winning All Ireland, and like they've been knocked, they've been shook a little bit. They were, I thought they were pretty good against Cork in the first half. Some people disagree. Um, they still have <laughs> David Clifford, and David Clifford could win the All Ireland on his own. Yeah, like he's not even fully fit. He's not even great yet. He's just playing with that bit of anger. I'm not sure if you read Amos Morris's piece in the Examiner, a little excerpt um, a couple of weeks ago, but he said, like, involved with Fossa, what he saw was Clifford is so good at it and he's happy to facilitate others and let others do the business if things are going well. But the second the team gets in a bit of bother, he becomes the main man. Give me that ball. He'll do the damage. He'll look after it. So that's not going to get carried all the way this year. They're going to need others to, to just up it a little bit. I think Mayo, you know, I think if Mayo don't have that 1-1 collapse in injury time against Loud, we're looking at it going. They won by 14 points to 9. Job done. Sure, they kind of struggled a little bit with the blanket, but they butchered a couple of goal chances. And I don't think it was that bad for Mayo. Um, they're staying in third. And uh, yeah, like the dubs in fourth, I just think they're the 
that's the order at the minute. And uh, well, Jerry's after Jerry's after saying there, Tommy, uh, I want Dublin higher. And uh, if if memory serves me correctly, in the last power rankings we had, Jerry was backing down mm. off Dublin and saying, oh, "No, it's oh, just saying they were one A, one and one A." Okay, right. Well, but look at. I, I wasn't giving Galway enough credit early in the year. I've changed my mind a little bit on Galway. I'm, I'm, they, you know, they're they're winning me over. It's fickle, isn't it, Tommy? Mm. But that's it, Shane. It's easy to sit there and have your pops and your little jabs, and you know, I'm I'm the one who has to be up till two in the morning of a Monday <laughs> doing my power rankings and making sure I move it, making sure that Pat's plan and myself nearly have the exact same power ranking. So I don't know what that's. You must be very proud. Well, look at Pat is obviously. You say there's plagiarism here, Tommy. Come on, just say it. I'll say it if you won't. No, there's no plagiarism, and I'm not. I'm not. Jesus, I'm not saying that. <laughs> but I just think it is the way that the year has gone. I think that it's it's hard not to put Galway in first place by default, and that's what I'm saying because they haven't won the All Ireland yet. There's still a long way to go, but they have been the most consistent and impressive team. Everyone else has obvious chinks in the armor. Uh, a few quick comments uh, could have dropped Fermanagh three places to put Leash ahead of them after last weekend says the unofficial Kildare fan page Quirky1980 yeah. says me they're lucky with their group uh, Ronan Hurricane good morning Ronan True. says unfortunately Jarrett's still not fair Ulster teams find it harder to get to the provincial final and therefore find it harder to get into Sam Maguire it's still not the best 16 teams competing for Sam I can see how Cavan <laughs> would be pissed off I, I, I I also, I also yeah. think sorry Offaly in 20th and Wexford back in 27th after Wexford beating them by 5 points there's an argument there the Wexford fans are <coughs> a bit upset I know you're saying you know league form comes into it and, and everything but you have to be reactive here Wexford are flying yeah okay Wexford awfully Wexford have moved up two mm-hmm. and I just think that's reflective of where Wexford are in the country and like awfully knocked out Mead at a Leinster and performed so well in Crow Park so look, look maybe I'm giving awfully a bit too much credit for man to move back two they're not getting over Leash like Leash have had an horrendous year yes they've pulled it out of the bag but like the week before that Leash, two weeks before that, Leash threw away a six-point lead and drew. The week before that, they pulled it out of the fire against London and got a late point. They have responded really well to adversity in the last couple of weeks. A fantastic win in Brewster Park. But I, I couldn't put Leash any higher than 24th. Mm. They're doing well to be that high shape, and I think. Is it your ambition and dream that we have an Antrim Meath Talton Cup final? Oh, that would be that would be tasty. Um that would be tasty. You're not backing down from get down, that. are you, Tommy? Like, I, I still think the winner of the Cavan Down match wins the Tottenham Cup, yeah, and, and I think it's going to be down. I think I think the winner of the Tottenham Cup is coming from there as well, Shane, and very hard to call. Like, really hard to call. Like, down, I've had a really interesting couple of weeks. They were brutal against Mead. Like, that's why Mead are behind them. Down mm-hmm. kicked 17 wides that day, and I, I think they just got the better of Mead. Or Mead just got the better of them, um, which is great for Mead. But, like, you know, there's been an interesting wrinkle this week with Dan sending their players back to play club football who weren't going to start their game against Longford. I think they made a good few changes for that game. They weren't great. They were in trouble at half time. They'd missed the penalty. Really good response in the second half to win by eight points. I think Down are in a good place. Down football is in a good place. I just wonder, yeah, it's going to be a cracker of a match. I just wonder who's going to come out of that game with Down and Cavan. Cavan are obviously going to be favourites. I haven't given Cavan much credit this year. I think Cavan might just... Oh, it's hard to call. I don't know. I can't call that one, Jim. Are you calling down to win that one? I'm calling down to win that one. I know it's, I know it's in Breffney Park, but um, I think that's down the only... that win the Cup. I think it's the only away win of the four uh, Talton quarterfinals. So Limerick will beat Leash at home. I think Meath will beat Wexford at home and Antrim will beat Carlo at home. But I, I do think Down can cause that little, little minor, I wouldn't say upset, but um, away victory this weekend. 
All right. Pat Flan Jr. is on the show on Friday morning, by the way, so make sure you tune in for that. We'll ask him about his, dad, his dad's power rankings versus yours, and uh, he can he can power rank the power rankings for us. You can ask ask him how the yeah ask him how he does it. How does he scientifically do it? You know. All right. Because we've never got the full science. I mean, maybe staying maybe, up till two in the morning. Maybe I'll pass it on to. No. Now, me and Owen have slightly different methodologies, but he showed me, you know, what he does. And so look, at, I, I, we, I can't reveal that. It's the bottom of, so, yeah, de- was it Death Road? Was that where, where he had his cycling accident in Bolivia? Yeah, I, can't, I actually can't wait for the, the three-hour special with Owen when he comes back and he talks us through his trip. <laughs> um, I think it was Death Road, but I think the best part of it was that his, uh, his instructor, the tour guide that was with him, um, had kind of stopped at the point that he was at on the on the cycle, so they'd done this crazy cycle, and they said, "Okay, guys, like well done. You've come through the toughest part. Now this is the bit where everybody falls because they think they've come through it." And Owen takes off with no fear, and uh, very lucky. Thank God he's all right. All right, episode eleven of uh, Tommy Rooney's edition of the GA Power Rankings is in the books. You know. Tommy knows his football obviously listening to football pod the odd time and I was looking at the power rankings and I thought that Jesus Owen must still be feeling the effects of these mushrooms ok <laughs> it's 8.36 this morning uh, very quickly some paper reviews for you uh, Mbappe and PSG in bitter transfer row uh, Moeen Ali thought his test recall was a joke for the Ashes the Ashes you're going to have a lot of the newspapers covering that at the moment Mbappe plots escape route out of PSG it's a James McLean picture on the verge of his 100th cap an incredible achievement for him Troy Parrott aiming to revive his Spurs career under Ange Postacoglu and John Round the PJ players feel betrayed the mail up against it Ireland cannot afford to lose in Athens that's Dennis Irwin Claire Hogan refuses to blame the referee for final loss that's their cornerback Adam Hogan uh, Rory steers away from media duties at the US Open so no more uh, press conference from Rory this week water under the bridge Manion and Galway look to move on from Leinster final heartache and they also have the news that Brendan Rodgers is on the brink of a stunning Celtic return it did seem very unlikely very unlikely but now he's back and then get real get real Madrid on red alert as Mbappe contract standoff could force PSG to cash in that's the back of the Daily Star and then a story we haven't talked about at all Larry's TV snob GA President Larry McCarthy walked out of a television interview at the launch of the Hurling Championship in Waterford yesterday when he was asked about the association subscription channel GA Go I'll come back to that in a few minutes but at uh, 8.38 time for virtual insanity You have entered Power Drive. Oh, wow! John Duggan, good morning to you. Jer and Shane, how are we doing? The US Open is here. Yeah. Los Angeles, Hollywood, Beverly Hills starts tomorrow. Rory McIlroy, Shane Larry, Padraig Harrington, Seamus Power and Matt McLean in the field. All dominated by um, the talk about the game and what's going to happen, but the brutality of the US Open and the balls disappearing into the rough and being 25 over par will now hit the players like a steam train. Hard but playable, says Shane Lowry. Yeah. Par 70 in Los Angeles. Los Angeles Country Club has not been a major venue at all. It hosted a few LA Opens back in the 30s, but uh, has not, and a Walker Cup, but has not been used for majors. So there's a lot of, there's, some players have played it because they would have played California golf. Uh, but not a lot of players um, have much experience with the course. But with all these things, US Opens play well, hit the fairway, hit the green, scramble well, putt well. It's not that difficult. You just have to have patience. It's going to be a long week. It's going to be a long week for any of us watching late at night in California, but it's going to be great. And I think we obviously see now with the live break that the majors are assuming more importance 
Um, and because we all the best players there and Brooks who uh, defected from the PGA Tour won the last one the US PGA so so many plot lines uh, from a golfing perspective and so much depth I think it's very hard to narrow it down that's what we're going to try and do um, when you're looking at this and uh, I've not in my best of runs actually recently so that's why I've been kind of quiet on the virtual insanities because if I don't feel like I'm feeling it I don't come in and I do it um, and if I feel I can get a bit of form again, I'll do it again. If that's so, I, I, I really do think it's important to just sometimes lay down the arms, as it were, and not uh, not have a go. Uh, whereas the last couple of years were very much profitable, and we were in, in a roll and doing it every single week. So that's my kind of thinking around that. But obviously, we'll always 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 do the majors. When you think about it, if Rory McIlroy is eleven to one to win, and he's the headline pick. Um, it's like it really dulls your interest that he's probably not going to win on the basis of stats over the last nine years. But if you're looking at nine to four to be placed and making a profit on this, in the last three tournaments, he's been in the top 10. In the last four US Opens, he's finished in the top 10. So if you're making a bet each way on Rory McIlroy, only in more, I'm going to give a few others as I would anyway, because in a field of over 150. But if you're only going to back Rory McIlroy at 11 to one, you're more likely than not to make a profit on him whether he wins or doesn't win. And he's more than likely not to win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, maybe okay. the, so you're, you're not putting him up as a headline or oh, you think he's going to win, but you do think that there's a well, good I, chance he places. Yeah, but the bonus is that I'm going to headline him because I think he can't not headline Rory McIlroy in a way. Mm. If that makes sense. Does it help that he's not talking? Well, maybe being the sacrificial lamb will motivate him. Like, he's got ample motivation now. Uh, to to win, he's done everything in the game but win a major over the last night. Like he won both tours last year. How difficult is that to do? You know, uh, he played with Brooks first two rounds. That'll be fun. Uh, spoken to Sky uh, yesterday in a good form. Look, he's he's well capable of winning this. He's won it before. Um, so that's why I th- I'm, I'm kind of thinking from a few different angles why he might be the pick this week. The U.S. Open has traditionally had a bunch of winners who come from nowhere to win like if you go all the way back you're seeing uh, Jeff Ogilvie Angel Cabrera so Cabrera obviously was another major winner but uh, Lucas Glover G-Mac yeah. uh, Webb Simpson Scott Simpson Martin Keimer yeah. Gary Woodland Gary Woodland was a bit of a left fielder at Pebble Beach yeah, yeah. And, and I've got a few of them here right Matt Fitzpatrick no he was painful that was painful last year Not, no, it was painful I don't even want to talk about that um, what, what went painful for you John because he was in my my ballpark in my mind to have a cut at him, uh, and he didn't play that well in Canada, and I went off him, and no, no, that could have, that's, that was black bag stuff. It was black bin sacks. It could have been if, if Fitzpatrick had won. Is Nick Taylor in with a? If you're looking at Canada, um, into the shout. I think everybody's in with a shout that's playing well. Mm. Uh, the other ones I'm going to go for. I'm looking for golfers with California experience, right? And people like slag me off every single time for like putting a Patrick Cantlay in these events. He's sixteen to one for nine each way, um, but he's played the course dozens of times. He went to college in Los Angeles. He's now got Tiger's ex caddy in the bag, Joe Lacava. That's obviously going to help him. He's fourth ranked in the world. Why? Uh, top 15s in his last three majors, so he's now beginning to get a major comfortable. Uh, tied ninth at the US PGA in his penultimate start. Top 15s in the last two US Opens. Um, leads total driving in the stats on the tours. He's driving the ball very well this season. Uh, he says he knows exactly where he wants to hit the ball this week, and he looked confident in his press conference. Sometimes he can be looking at quite gloomy. Um, and I just think the California experience makes him, he's skinny odds, but I do think he's going to be there or thereabouts. Patrick Cantlay, 16s. Um, Ricky Fowler, I'm, I'm going for three guys who I think are definitely going to contend and I'm going to give you three outsiders. 
The third one to contend is Ricky at 45 to 1. So Ricky was outside the top 100 in the world at the end of last year, beginning of this year. Now he's 45th in the world. Why? Because he's working with Butch Harmon again, the best coach in the history of the game. Ricky seems to have copped on to the fact that, you know, you you got to get your head down and, and go and do this. Uh, in the last two tournaments, he's been in the top 10. He's playing well. Uh, six top 10s and 17 PGA Tour events this season. Eighth in strokes gained approach in the PGA Tour. That's going to be important at this course. A little bit of room off the tee this week. A linksy style feel, firm and fast. That suits Ricky Fowler's game. If he can get over the fact that he probably turned down $75 million to join Liv um, and not take the money and be okay this week with that and go and win the US Open, then he might win it. Uh, Ricky Fowler, who's definitely well capable, has been second in this tournament in the past and has had top fives in all four majors. The orange man, Ricky Fowler, he's only 34. He can definitely do this. And he's also grew up in California. So the three outsiders, Sahith Tagala, you might know him from the Masters. When he, as a rookie, he finished ninth. Uh, he's 90 to 1 for four each way. Um, the, he was the king of college golf in California. He's got a lot of, uh, once again, reps at this course. He's an artist. He's a completely maverick-style player, brilliant putter, not the best off the tee, but... Once again, if he can just get into rhythm in terms of his approach and his short game, he is just a, such a natural talent, Sahith Tagala. Second in birdies on the tour this year would say that to you. Hard to earn a maiden victory, but Matt Fitzpatrick, as we talked about there, it was his first win in America when he won in Boston last year. So that's why I'm going to go with the artist, Sahith Tagala. I'm going to go for the opposite end of the spectrum with Keith Mitchell at 175 to 1 after three each way. This guy, all he does is keep the ball in the fairway. And that's a really good start in the US Open. Um, he's been consistently one of the top drivers on the tour. Played well on the West Coast Swing. Played well in Los Angeles. Fifth at Riviera earlier this year. Tied fourth at Pebble Beach. Has not been in the best of form. But going back to the California coast, could inspire the guy who wears the cashmere sweaters. And finally, Patrick Rogers, once again, was the, one of the top California guys as an amateur. Had a comparable record to Tiger Woods at Stanford. He's 250 to 1 for two each way. Nearly lost his card recently, but um, he's 46 in the FedEx Cup, so he's going to retain his privileges. Just needs to put it together for four rounds. He was in the top 10 at halfway in this tournament last year. He was only two shots off the lead of the Memorial Tournament a couple of weeks ago. Faded in the final round. Is a very talented guy. Just needs to get a bit more comfortable, but that's why he's 250 to 1, and he's 50 to 1 to place in the top 8. So Patrick Rogers, Keith Mitchell, complete outsiders. So Heath's the guy a mid-range outsider Ricky Fowler is somebody who can win this uh, Patrick Hantley is definitely somebody who can win this and wouldn't it be great for Rory to put the two fingers up to the world and to ring Greg Norman after he's won the US Open and say mate I've got five majors yeah that would be that would be incredible like if it's ever going to happen do you feel like this is it just feels does it feel you know if there is a storyline because you know sometimes in sports storylines are written like last year there was a great storyline and Matt Fitzpatrick mm. won the US Amateur at Brookline and there's a photo of him and his parents and his brother I think it was 10 years apart they did the same photo <laughs> this has got the, like this would be Hollywood I know it ends in Hollywood if Rory did win this week um, and it would be a welcome a development for golf two fingers up to the to the but, new deal well, just to this, like when you think about it, this guy is look, Brooks has got more majors now, but Rory McIlroy is the face of golf and he's the voice of golf. Am I right in saying that? Oh yeah, it certainly that. seems to be. It certainly they uh, and I, that didn't. That's not like an Irish centric lens. They they needed and they wanted him to come out and defend the PGA Tour. He did his job. He did what he thought was right, and uh, he's getting punished for it. On loads of different levels. So, well, you saw when Michael Block was told, you know, live during an interview that he was going to be playing a round with Rory McIlroy at that recent tournament, and he was just like he couldn't speak. He was like, "This Rory McIlroy, 
there is a he brings the colour that is not there and maybe this is unfair but on the surface level when you see Ram Scheffler Brooks Kepka you know Seve had a bit about him Woods had something about him even if he was quite surly because he, mm. he was such a genius um, Mickelson had something about him um, Trevino Watson you know they, they all had certain type of uniqueness and I think that's kind of gone out of the game a bit too many automatons, too many robots, and Rory has the pure um, candor, and to me, he's the face of the game, and I really hope he deserves a major win, and nine years is, is, is too long, and hopefully, given the Masters is now out of the way, and all this stuff is out of the way, maybe he can just have a degree of freedom this week, because what has he got to lose? All right, that's this week's episode. All right, folks. You have entered Power Drive. Oh, wow! Oh, yeah. Uh, John, there is other golf news. Uh, Jay Monaghan has, has taken ill and is no longer uh, in day-to-day control of the PGA Tour. Yeah, this is overnight stuff. And once again, the timing of this is unbelievable uh, that he had an unspecified medical condition. And he's now given uh, the duties have been given over to two of his lieutenants in the Tour uh, to run the day-to-day operations. Um, a couple of corporate executives from the PGA Tour but as I said, with John Ram coming out yesterday and saying that they felt betrayed, the players, Patrick Cantlay was, I was reading his transcripts, I did, they were completely shocked um, for this now to, to happen. And you hope the man is okay. Um, it's just the timing of it. It's just, it is unbelievable. Um, Monaghan said before this statement came out that he felt that they, they were left on their own by the US state in terms of um, you know support for the PGA Tour. But the PGA Tour is non, like it's a non-profit. It's, it's tax-exempt. Uh, so um, uh, you, there's a vacuum there that has to be filled. Like nobody knows what's going on. Like you know, Larry's talking about it. Um, uh, Scheffler's talking about it in the press conference. Nobody knows what's happening here, and it's a vacuum that needs to be filled quickly because um, um, I suppose the interesting thing about it, the U.S. Open is it is a completely separately run event by separate organization. But yeah, um, for uh, the PJ Tour to have. Just to, with all these things, I think in every sport and organisation, um, and you talked about the Larry McCarthy thing there, and I did speak to Larry McCarthy three weeks ago, and he gave me an answer about Diego and that kind of thing. But you do need to have that public presence to say, this is what the situation is. This is what, you know, we're going to give you more information next week or whatever. But just to even hold, to hold something and to have some kind of certainty for people, because you're talking about a huge sport and a worldwide sport and a, and a, lot, of, uh, a lot of things riding on it. It does seem strange that um, there aren't more public faces who can come out and just calm the waters, address the sponsors, the fans, the players, the TV companies, and go. No, we've, we've got we've got a very clear plan. We know exactly what we're doing. Here's how we think it's going to grow the game. Here's how we're going to make sure that the best stars are playing more often against each other in the biggest tournaments. And here's what the global footprint is going to be. These are the projections. It, does feel like they don't know any of that stuff just yet. It does feel like they were making this up as they go along, and um, that doesn't inspire confidence when it comes to, you know. So John Ram is saying, echoing almost exactly what Rory said, but he was a less public face, um, no less supportive. You'd have to say in that he didn't take the money, you know. You see more anger though in John Ram. See, you, you know, do. He's, he's, he's yeah, an angry yeah, fella. Yeah, it's Byron brawling. Yeah, metaphorically, yeah. obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, as long as he can control that, uh, he needs to control that aggression and, and process it in the right way. I'm sure he can. It's, he seems to use it well. 
Do you know, yeah. some players get yeah. angry and yeah. they, they, but, but they, they but, 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 but we're back to Rory again. Rory's the face, and yeah. like he's the, he, he is the the, the, the the sunny face of of. of and you need that. You need you know. You need a Jack. You need you need a, that that kind of thing going on. Um, uh, we, uh, I didn't realise um, you spoke to Larry McCarthy recently, and he gave you an answer about uh, yeah. Diego. Yeah. So he, yeah. this is a story today because he was on. He was at the, the launch of the hurling championship yesterday, which was on. I think it was on down in Waterford. Is that correct? It was. Yeah, yeah the yeah, uh, Dennis yeah, Isle yeah, Club yeah, in Waterford yeah, City. Yeah. Right. I don't know if I can play this through the microphone or anything. Uh, uh, can I? This is what he said to me a few weeks ago. As we do with everything, we'll, we'll look back at it at the end of the season, um, and we're not going to make any mad changes in, in, in mid-season, for instance. Um, we'll see what we can learn from it at the, at the end of the year. Can you understand maybe some of the frustrations? I can understand some of the frustrations as well. Yeah, I can, but I mean, as also, we, we, have, to, we have a wonderful platform. Um, we would be remiss to a certain extent if we didn't develop that and use it and, and put games that would not necessarily be, be televised by other entities out there and give people access to it. As we do with everything, we'll, we'll so look that, that, uh, And I think that answer is buying time to the end of the season, which was basically what they had done since this first erupted. But yesterday he was speaking to Joe Caulfield of Virgin Media and um, he, he just stopped the interview and didn't answer the question. Which, yeah, Joe asked him, there's been controversy over the lack of free-to-air games and maybe the distribution of the broadcasting. That's all he got the chance to say. And, and then he was shaking of the head and, and uh, no, no, I'm not talking uh, about it. I was at the press conference at Croke Park um, for the Katie Taylor. So it was the GA's financial report, but obviously that was the day of the Katie Taylor controversy were deciding whether it was going to be Croker or Three Arena and I put the question to, to Larry in the press conference and he just shook his head and like Tom Ryan the Director General of the GA picked it up and gave some sort of answer and calmed Larry down and said no no it's okay I can answer it, it it's weak leadership from Larry McCarthy to walk away from an interview like that on, on a uh, like it, it's not it's not the most difficult question to come up with some sort of answer for and there are a number of incidents like this where the GA President has been asked a question that's not all that difficult, and by the way, not all that surprising to be asked it. Like Katie Taylor that day, you're going to be asked that. Um, like that question from Joe yesterday, you're going to be asked that. So come up with an answer. It just shows weak, weak leadership, in my opinion, to walk away from an interview is live on camera. Is there not something in the star, though, that says that was there uh, maybe a request not to talk about it? But like, and I, like, I know, but I'm just yeah. No, yeah so no, maybe, you're right. So, so if, if that's if that's so, if there was a request not to talk, I'm not I'm not like batting for the GA here. Of course. Right? But if there's a request not to talk about it, and then you're and then you're asked about it, and then you're annoyed, and then you, I, I just. But then I suppose you should still have some stock answer for if you are asked about it, and then and and walk yeah, away. You've, you've the stock answer, and then off the camera you go nuts. Yeah, and exactly. You, say, you know why? Why but, did you ask me that? Keep the cool on camera. It just doesn't look good. Well, you're going to get the inevitable pile-on, which is what happened now. So it, here's what Carlo Kane is reporting in the Star. The GA declined to comment last night, but Star Sport understands there was an agreement before the interview that McCarthy would only answer questions about the launch and the competition. So while, they, while the GA are declining to comment, they're saying off the record that's what their understanding was. That's the translation of what that means to you. So instead of actually coming out and saying that, they're saying... We've nothing to say officially, but here's what we here's here's our line about what happened. And again, I, I just don't think like what, what's the point of that? Doesn't mean the journalist can't ask the question, and be refused. But walking away out of the out of shot, I thought was the. It felt, it felt a little bit like Larry had been told not to say anything, and that actually instead of the president being free to you know express the views of the organisation, that the the um, 
the administrative arm of the organisation is is all powerful and is telling the elected the elected president what he can and can't say. And so I I wonder about the weakness of the leadership so much as like it clearly shows that the power is in the the full time staff within Croke Park. And I'm not really sure that that is necessarily the strongest position for any organisation to be in all the time. Mm. Like. If you're going to do a Diego deal, you want to be getting out there in front of it and be unapologetic about why you're doing it. And then if Congress disagrees with it or whatever, you got to. You, if you're going to do it, no difference to the live situation. You got to explain it. You got to explain what you're about and say, look, no, I, I know it's controversial, but we believe that we can't. We're only allowed to put these many games in RT. There was no other bidder for the other rights, so therefore we have to maximise revenue. We have to give money back to the clubs. So we're a voluntary organisation. Where are we going to get our revenue from? We have to... Do you see these clubhouses around the country? That's why we're doing this. We know it's controversial. We're trying to improve the broadband. And then you go out and you explain it and say, That's what's, this is what the situation is, folks. And we're going to take the brickbats on this. That's all you need to do. You go out there and you say, you know, we know, we know we're getting the heat on this, but you've got you to stick with us. We feel we're actually above the curve on this. That's all you need to say. Um, the defensiveness uh, then creates this... Yeah, Larry, Larry's trying to avoid it becoming a story. But if he had just said roughly what you had just said there... Well, if he said exactly what he said to you three weeks ago... Yeah. So he knows the lines. That's the thing. He knows the lines. But uh, you just... I don't know. They, it, it was like there was a degree of a bit of a vacuum in the Waddy Graham's uh, Kilmer Code thing as well, mm. uh, where it's... You're coming out there... Um, I remember it was at a press conference. No, no, no. That's that, that, that's, that's the, what he did. That's for the CCCCC to talk about. No, it's no. You're the guys. You're the leaders of the association. And I know you've all these communities, and I know it's a very democratic organisation, and it's kind of bottom up or whatever. But sometimes you need to. No, Pork Duffy was very good at saying no. This is this is our position on this. This is our position on this. This is our position on this. And sometimes there were you know difficult um, even in, around the sky thing. There were difficult conversations, um, but you always fell with that that. Uh, you would get a straight answer and, and, and people would then go, okay, that's fair enough. Yeah, and look, the, I think, was it Morris Brosnan was pointing out yesterday in the Examiner, it could have been somebody else, that the Diego situation is going to become more pronounced as uh, there's one last weekend, is it quarterfinal weekend where there are two games exclusively on Diego, so it depends on who is in those matches and again, it leads us all back to who's making those decisions. Uh, RT have a foot in both camps, which we've said again and again, looks on and smells like a conflict of interest. And again, this isn't a story that's going to go anywhere. So um, what's happened by not answering the question in the way that they didn't answer the question yesterday is that we're all talking about it again today and everybody's reminded, oh yeah, oh yeah, that, well, that was a story a while back. Mm-hmm. Then the games happened and everybody's like, oh, we've forgotten about that again. But uh, So we shall see. OTV AM Live with Gillette Labs, got the ultimate shaver. Your money back, Neon Light Edition is available now. Anything else, JD? Um, Depeche Mode, playing tonight in Dublin. That's always a great thing. Are you going? Uh, hopefully you might be able to snake it. Pet Shop Boys are playing Malahide Castle today, apparently, as well. Someone told me this morning. No, Depeche Mode are playing Malahide Castle today. Oh, who's, are Pet Shop Boys playing at all? I don't know. Yeah, next Monday night in oh, the next three arena. Okay, right, right. So it's Depeche Mode today. So a lot of nostalgia. You haven't missed your Pet Shop Boys <laughs> yet. <laughs> Not just yet. You're a big Depeche Mode Ah, uh, yeah. They'd be one of my favourite bands. Worldwide. Uh, obviously, Andy Fletcher sadly passed away last year. And um, On a unrelated note, um, you know, obviously, you know, thoughts with Christy Dignam's family, you know. Very sad. Yeah. Big yeah. Bose man, wasn't he? I cer- he certainly would have gone to Bose matches over the years. I don't know if he was a Bose, ma- Bose fan or what the story was there, but sad news. Ah, very sad, yeah. Icon of, of Dublin and, and Irish rock. All right. Uh, one last clip for you now from Dennis Irwin. Here he is talking about um, the Pep versus Fergie conundrum. 
It's difficult to compare eras, of course, yeah. and, and look, it's difficult to compare managers. And I know you haven't been in a, in a dressing room with, with Pep Guardiola as such as a player, but how would you compare, I guess, future legacies of the likes of Pep Guardiola and, and Alex Ferguson as things stand? Well, they've both been great managers. Um, when you think of what, what Sir Alex did at Aberdeen before he came to Manchester United, then to do 27 years at Manchester United and build four or five different teams and win what he did. And then Guardiola's done a great job at, at Barcelona. Um, he had an incredible team there to look at, to watch. And Bayern Munich, he did a great job. And City now, you know, City are very, very strong. Um, obviously, have grabbed the, the Premier League five times in the last six. First Champions League, FA Cups, League Cups. They're a very strong team at the moment. Um, so you've got to say he's done a fantastic job as well. But both different in their styles. Um, as you said, it's very hard to compare because different eras and all that but yeah, two great managers who've, who've achieved two great feats I think in trebles If there's at least one positive thing you can take from this week I guess it, it reminds you of that night in, in Barcelona in 99 and maybe brings up certain memories of clinching the treble on the 26th of May What was your view of that Solskjaer goal that night? Like, do you, can you take your, yourself back there at the speed of thought or is it one of those things you have to kind of almost think back to exactly how you felt in that moment? No, I was, I was lucky in the, in the fact that um, I'd been at the club uh, it was my ninth year at the club. Um, you know, I was 33. I was able to take it in a bit more than my first season at the club when we beat Barcelona in the Cup Winners' Cup in Rotterdam, and that kind of just went over me because I was obviously very young. And you did a Jack Grealish on it that yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, I didn't quite like do that, but <laughs> it went over very, very. And if I did, nobody'd know because there was no phones anyway. <laughs> but um, no, it went over, went, went past so so quick. So I tried to take as much in as possible. But, but what I do know is that um, we had a great great desire to win to win to win matches and go right to the end great we were very resolute you know we were hard to beat um we'd always keep going up not very much what the manager wanted and in the end it got us there a little bit of luck in the final i think to be fair to say see he had a little bit of luck in the final as well but that that's the way it goes you need that sometimes um, but great memories from 24 years ago, it really was. It's uh, Dennis Irwin reflecting on the differences between the trebles um, in advance of the game. It's Bilbao or it's like, like Bilbao? Bilbao yeah. yeah, yeah. 6th of August. Um, bit of controversy about the ticket prices for the World Cup warm-ups for the men's rugby team. Uh, it's going to be cheaper to go and see Manchester United. Mm. Significantly cheaper, I think, like 40 quid cheaper for the most expensive ticket, is it? Yeah, it's the, I think the United tickets are 35 quid for cheapest, 85 maybe for the for the good tickets. Which, for, which is a lot, I suppose, for a pre-season match. But, yeah, the World Cup warm-up matches are mad ticket prices as well. All of a sudden, you know, watching sport, even in this country, um, is difficult financially, isn't it, for a lot of people? Yeah, yeah. Season tickets uh, are the best value. The FAI have um, good family season tickets that you can buy. And, um, tickets uh, for families that go on sale for the groups. And I know everyone's like, oh, I only want to go to the good games. Like, well, come on, go to the Gibraltar game and support the team. And season tickets for the GEA is, is good value and has been good value um over the years too but if, if a one-off game if you want to go and have good seats in any of the big stadiums it ain't cheap Top pocket goal ahead of this summer's football in Australia we put on Australia it's what dreams are made of we'll be hosting a night of celebration for the Republic of Ireland women's national team in partnership with Sky and it's coming your way on June 28th in the Mansion House in Dublin what a moment for the Republic of Ireland we'll be joined by the full squad I don't know what we've just done you know I did believe we could do it as well as some other great guests as we give the team a night to remember Emma Bird is in tears <laughs> I can't believe it we've finally done it tune into all of Off The Ball's channels for a chance to win tickets to this exclusive 
exclusive event, Sky. Proud primary partners of the Republic of Ireland women's national team. Out believe together and we can go anywhere. They are going to the World Cup Finals. Karen, you were looking at Canada. Yeah, just the old Olympic champions. No big deal. Nothing much. I think we've been so focused on, we've been so focused on, I anyway have been so focused on like the big opener against Australia that kind of forget the profile that Canada come into this tournament with. They're ranked sixth in the world. But most of the chat around them has been about the kind of industrialist dispute that's been going on. They haven't played a friendly since April. They haven't played and they've no warm-up games only a behind closed door games I think when they get over there so while they're stacked and they're coming into it and they've got a really really strong squad you just wonder in their heads will there be a little bit like this wasn't the ideal preparation for a World Cup and can we like cling on to that hope that maybe there is still a bit of unrest there. Yeah, I worry that they're going to come in, though, and be like, oh, we want to prove the Federation wrong, so we're going to, like, win the... We're being glass half full here. (laughs) Green glasses. Get your green glasses on. We could start stirring a little bit, right? Like, trying to plant some seeds. Our Federation loves us now. (laughs) We just went on strike. I mean, if you And you say something controversial, it'll be all over Twitter. It'll blow everything off. You mean something like that might possibly be true, but you know, talking about? Mm, Okay. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. Yeah, so obviously Australia aren't the only challenge that we face in our World Cup group. That was Kathleen, Emma and Karen talking on this week's episode of Koi Gig about the challenge that we face against the Olympic champions Canada straight after the game against Australia. The Koi Gig pod on Off the Ball is an association with Cadbury, official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland women's national team. Now, Finney Perth is with us. Finney, good morning to you. Good morning. How are we doing? This game against Greece, I've been saying that uh, it's hard to understand how important it is but it's really seismic it might turn out to be a boring nil all draw and everybody you know we live to fight another day but if we were to get tanked very difficult to come back from if we were to have one of those really important away wins then all of a sudden it's like a shift in perception yeah you'd like to think it's a big um, it's a big moment it's funny the game has sort of gone under the radar feeling like obviously when France come to town or there's a build up to it and you're in the middle of premiership season this seems a little bit low key um, but actually, I just hope that the week they've had away in Turkey, um, it sounds like they've had a good week. Sounds like a lot of them. Um, I've been lucky enough to know a couple of internationals uh, who've played football and they, they don't like this window at all, right? Most of their mates are on holidays, and I know the normal fan don't understand that, but it is a difficult time. Premiership is over. You're, you're then looking at getting back into pre-season. If you go back a late, a week or two, it can have a knock-on effect in different stages. So it's a difficult window. But the the mood music coming out of camp seems to be really good. Like I know they watched a film together, and it was the Kevin Moran documentary, oh, right. I believe. Okay. And like them, them things are great. They can be thrown back in your face, as we all know, at different stages. It was corny and all that stuff, or can really help. And but you get the sense there's. There's, there's a good mood around the camp at the moment. This this has really helped them. I think it suits Stephen's style to be able to man-manage people, have cups of coffee with them at different stages around mm. around the pool or wherever it may be. And I think this, I hope, this is a real chance for him to have a turning point and we'll f- soon find out because the match is really, really important, as you said. And it's also an opportunity if he's going to make 
subtle changes to how the team plays to make sure that everybody fully understands exactly what they're trying to do. Yeah, I think I think and I think that's important having time on the training ground. I know they played the eleven v eleven game again. Can't really do that in them small sort of bringing lads in on a Monday ahead of a Wednesday game. They're flying in throughout Sunday night. Some might have played on a Sunday, etc. So, I think that's important. And I know Stephen Style likes eleven v eleven. There's lads in Dundalk with here that we like. We we done a lot of eleven v elevens over them years, and um, it, it was his way of of implementing what he wanted um, and reviewing stuff and to be honest with you that's where like we'll all second guess teams and different things that's where you may struggle because he can see things in 11 v 11 and he's often made a change and went no that's not going to work and I'm going to play a different team where me and him will discuss the team a week in advance and then he'd make subtle changes as a result of that hard work on the training ground. How serious are those games? I know was it a seventy-minute match that the Irish team played in camp? Like, are they competition for places? Is it take it a little bit easy, or or is it hell for leather? No, they're generally done in. I'd say uh, they're done in blocks. I, I'd imagine the plan was probably sixty minutes, uh, like sort of fifteen-minute blocks, and they are competitive because people. What, what you try and do, where you get the holy grail, is it, it's a bit like to use um, the the. The sort of a rugby analogy the non-bibs are hugely important so I would imagine they'd one team playing like Ireland going to play mm. and another team would be set up the way Greece are going to play so that's how you, you learn different things yeah. and if the non-bibs play really well and gives you headaches great and that's their way of getting themselves put the hand up so they, they're really interesting they're fascinating and they are played at a decent tempo mm. and normally whoever referee I've refereed them for years <laughs> it's one hell of a tough gig I can tell you that much uh, there were changes made by all accounts in the middle of the game yeah. the players were in one bib and then they were moved out if you're getting moved out of the, the first choice bib you're like uh oh or you're like yeah that's mine the job's done I'm, I'm happy there's, no there's lots of different ways of doing that so you put a fella like if 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 you know he's going to start and it, he, that's set in stone you may give the backup a chance okay. and also keep him happy a little bit to say I've had me a little chance in the team yeah. so there's a mixture of all them things I wouldn't read too much into that um, it's the night before the game they'll do they'll do a shape and that's when the team will be set and everyone know exactly who they are you've picked teams for us but there, there's loads of different teams ok so yeah and I found I tr- part of me tried to get in his head uh, after 20 years I, I'm, mm-hmm. I don't know what I can get into his head so ju- I suppose just me thinking was does Ireland have three different potentially three different ways of playing ok so I think th- uh, in, in fairness they play with a back three and there's a couple of decisions like th- we have a lot of players now who are out of season championship players it's been four or five weeks we've got players like Dara O'Shea who's in the squad but hasn't played since the French game so in, in my teams, I've left them out, but I'm not there this week, and that's and it, like if it was if that was happening out in Abbottstown, you get a feel for how Dara is. So you're not 100 percent sure or how uh, Dara O'Shea is, but Dara Lenehan, and that's where we've got real strength and depth in that position, has been exceptional on the left hand side of Middlesbrough's defence. So for me, the back three of of, of Collins, Egan, and Lenehan. Uh, is is really strong as I said it could be Dara O'Shea in there Is the argument for O'Shea that he's, he's been in that shape before with those two lads so he knows Yeah no and it wouldn't shock me if O'Shea started it's just he hasn't played since yeah. the French game and this is you know the other the others like Collins hasn't pl- overly played lots of football Egan has been very good uh, winning promotion so it's like oh, Collins Delhi has played football at the end of the season and there's some talk that he might be available for a move is- y- 
Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't see him. Right. Uh, I, I don't see that one. I, I just think it's well, O'Shea or, or Lennon. That's right. the way I, I would see. You've also gone for Bazuna. That's not a conversation at all, is it? No, okay. no I don't think so. I don't, I don't, I don't think Stephen will be very strong to his number one. Odelda and McLean is a discussion point. I, I, I the sound music from him in press and stuff is Odelda. He, he seems to like. Gives him attacking track. I've gone with Mikey Johnson and so this is the team where I look and go I'm trying to see inside his head so you go and win the game with someone like Mikey Johnson okay um, you play an out and out winger off Ferguson who who can drop in pick up the ball in that area we've seen him do it for Brighton and you've got someone that has that sort of uh, bit of diamondism in that final tort okay I'd like to think he is going over there with we've got to win this game mindset and the squad so Mikey Johnson has played exceptional as well up until recently. He's in really good form um, and playing week in, week out. So that's that's where, in his head, I'd like to think that's what he does. And it's Cullen Knight and Malumbi with Knight as kind of a 10. 10. Yeah, joining in and giving us that running power. And that's where, that's where so the Johnson one off Ferguson for me um, is really interesting. I think that could work. I think that would be uh, Stephen's probably first wish in terms of uh, that style of player, I think he loves the, the Mikey Johnson type of player. And as I said, he's seen him, he's, he's playing regularly, and that puts him, for me, potentially ahead of others. But that's where it's, it's, this is, it's a fascinating team. And like we don't have a, because he's had a week now, he can come up with different solutions here. And that's why I mentioned someone like, I've left Smallbone out, who's, who's, I think he's going to become a hugely important player for Ireland. And he, he could get into the team ahead of Jason Knight as well. At right. a, um, um, but, because, again, we don't know what we're seeing. J- um, Smallbone's sort of relationship with him and Ferguson are very close. And Stephen has spoken in the media about Matt Doherty, Matt Doherty and Smallbone sort of link-up play. So I wouldn't be shocked sort of to see Smallbone in the team. But, again, when we go to the Smallbone team, you see it makes us... It's one change, Mikey Johnson out, Smallbone in, but you end up almost with that sort of box midfield, which I think could work away from home. You've, and you've spoken about it before, you kind of expected yeah. him to go to one before this. So the box midfield is, is Cullen and Malumbi with Knight and Smallbone. So Cullen and Malumbi are level yeah. and deep lying, and Knight and Smallbone are the But what high this end of the gives box. you is Jason Knight's ability to arrive in the box and pick up a goal, which is Smallbone is brilliant at it. We need running power away from home, but. What, what, where, where we've lost um, Obenya is he joins in as a centre forward for Ireland mm. and has done it successfully. And we're all happy with that. Smallball can do a little bit of the same and give you more sort of strength and depth in that midfield. And I, I think that's something they would have looked at. So effectively, it's it's a bit like if you go back to maybe Chelsea have done it. It's it's a it's a three four two one sort of shape with two two runners behind the centre forward, and Knight and Smallbone and Ferguson dropping in. That's exciting to me. Um, if, you have, if you have for that team as well, Smallbone instead of Johnston, do you provide Odoida with more space protection? Yeah, well, and uh, you've got to remember Odoida is a is a sort of a winger. Mm. Um, he's playing a lot of wing back now uh, at Bristol, but he is a winger as such. So I, I I like I like I like that team of Smallbone yeah. and I I think it's I think now this is where look we'll get on to maybe later. This is where a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of players getting minutes and games and having caps under the belt that they go away, and we've got options now in in that. So I like the idea of that I think it's um, it's something that 
could really work. But that uh, we c- you can call it a box midfield, or you can say two sort of that number tens, mm. giving us running power, but also defensively because we're going going away from home against a a four three three team. Right. So that was the other thing. Uh, th- are, are these tweaks based on what they expect Greece to do, or is this more we're going to try and get as much? It, ma- it makes sure we've got to get as much as what we have, but also Greece play a four-three-three, and, m- and what Poyet does is um, we don't have a lot to go on and, and re- researching as much as it could because yeah, they've played Gibraltar and won a handy, but they play four-three-three standard enough, but. Subtle difference is in his front three, he play one out and out winger, which would probably be his right winger, and his his left sided is actually a centre forward who joins in. Okay, so it's a bit like I, I don't link uh, to scare people link Greece to France, but you know that style with Mbappe joining in mm. as a second centre forward. They play that sort of way, and without the ball, it can become a four. Four two for Greece. Okay. So that's the challenge. People will, will see that. So that will be our challenge. So therefore, um, it's not that I need to come up with a different system. We know what we're going to play. It is a back three for. It's how the the front lines is configured and who's in form and who's playing regularly. And is there a possibility that Mikey Johnson is still in the situation where he's a sub for Ireland because he just hasn't been around the camp enough? Or yeah, yeah, no. And uh, does that uh, matter? It. it I think this week is different because if Mikey Johnson trains really well and is an exciting player in the sense of uh, on the training ground and you know they play these the, the 11v11 games and, and he's, he's joining in in drills where they're doing shooting drills he can convince that manager that I'm ready to play okay. and I think that's the type of manager he is Jamie McGrath kind of came from nowhere to start that game against Portugal that time and played really well and you know nobody yeah thought. and I think the reference McGrath is really important to say away from home or like that Jason Knight has done it but McGrath's performance in Portugal if you remember from that sort of box midfield position was joining in but also the intelligence of the recovery run yeah okay. um, so yeah so uh, what's your third team and then I'll ask well, well then the third team is dropping in um Obafemi and effectively it is it is similar team to what we've always had. Obafemi will do the same role as uh, Chidozi or Benya. I don't think he will. I don't think he'll do that same role to the same level. But basically, one of the strikers dropping in into a wide area to give a little bit of defensive cover when Greece have the ball. It's really Ferguson who'll do that role, then, isn't it? That you're Obafemi. Uh, well, Ferguson will more likely drop into midfield, and um, I don't. I think. Uh, uh, Obafemi would have to sort of probably operate off the right hand side of it as such and do as I said what uh, Chidozi does but again he hasn't played enough football yeah. and that's the problem with the whole Irish team I'm looking at I'm looking at the knock on effect by Matt, we're playing Matt Doherty mm. playing Nathan Collins playing Dara O'Shea and it's it's for, for for the first time when I was sitting through this yesterday trying to come up with a team going you can't play them all if they're not playing. You've got to find a balance. And as I said, that training week they've had is huge for them. And we're in a difficult situation going into this game with the amount of people who haven't played regular football. How do, you, how do you make up for that? Um, you, 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 to be fair to the FAI, you get your, your, yourself onto a plane and you get the, the lads to train. They did meet in Bristol a week ago or two, two weeks, weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, got, a, got a bit of extra stuff into their legs, but... It's really, really difficult. Um, I would say Greece are probably a little bit better prepared. They've got a lot of players who are playing regularly up until a later date than we do. Um, so it's difficult. It's really, really difficult. And you can't play, as I said, 
too many players who haven't played regularly altogether. The Hardys in all three of your teams, that there's no discussion there, is there? Um, no, only because I think he's he's sort of Stephen's man and his go-to man in that position. Um, I, I I don't see Alan Brown hasn't played loads of football due to an injury. Yeah, he's been doing hydrotherapy over yeah. in Turkey as well. So I don't see. It's not that we don't have huge options there. I just see Matt Doherty starting. That's where you'll make an allowance for Matt Doherty, but you won't make an allowance for six players or seven players who haven't played regularly. You've got to come up with that balance. And uh, no, Matt Doherty, I'd, I would expect to start again if he's training. It's shambolic for mm-hmm. the week. You'll have serious questions, but I'd expect it's good enough from what I'm hearing. Mm. Okay, so what's your expectation? Um, I, I'm going to say to you, um, for no scientific reasons other than I actually fancy Ireland to win this week. I think, I think there's a huge turning point and it has to come eventually for Stephen Kenny and may not come. He may be, you know, he may be like myself, an unemployed coach, but a I I expect this is a big turning point. I think I think people have to realise, and it's not to make an excuse before the game starts, but um, we're playing against a team who are very similar to ourselves, gone through all the same transition. You go back to when Greece won the Euros, they were brutal to watch, and the public weren't happy, and they've made a big change, and they may own the ball a little bit. Their, their seeding is a bit... Or their, um, the three behind us in the world rankings. So it's not. Yeah, it's not like we're not playing a, a minnow here, and, and people of oh, Greece and won't know the names. Uh, but these are a good side. But I have a good feel, good factor about this Ireland team going into this camp. I think a lot of the heavy lifting is done. As I said, I could have got the teams completely wrong, but the difference now is you're talking about players who have caps. Uh, there's a huge amount of heavy lifting being done yeah. to get them to this position. Now it's like. And I hate the lazy word, two steps forward, one back. We've had a little bit of that. I, I would say sometimes we've had sort of uh, two te- steps forward, or one step forward and one back. It hasn't been as bad as people say, but this is a, this feels like a huge moment for, for this management setup. And I, I just really hope it goes their way. Yeah. All right. Vinny, good stuff. Thanks a million. Thank you. Yeah, Vinny and myself are going to be watching the game live on Friday evening on Off the Ball on News Talk. Uh, in the meantime, though, it's 22 minutes past nine this morning. You're watching OTBAM. We're live with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. It's time for Deal or No Deal. Hi, Roy. It's Maddie Taylor. I can see him getting his car. I've decided to go to Bolt. I'm waving him going out the car. <laughs> Just love moving teams, and then you have to do an initiation. They just don't seem to be able to get deals over the line. Who is going to be getting deals over the line? Phil Egan, good morning to you. How are you? How are you doing, lads? The uh, general state of the transfer window. Uh, I thought somebody said it's officially open today. What does that mean? Because it like, opens. Yeah, it's been it's been shut because it slammed shut. Obviously, the last round. Why so. the fourteenth? It's a random date opening, is it? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's any reason for it. They just pick a date, but mm. um, I always think that it's not really when it opens. It's all about when it closes. I think the fact that remember they tried to they tried it one season where they tried to finish it up before a bit earlier, but mm. because it was for this the Premier League, for example, it wasn't in line with the rest of Europe, so it actually created more problems yeah. and clubs were missing out on players because those later deals actually players went to other clubs around Europe but yeah like deals have already been done but I suppose now it's going to start getting even more Mm. Um, ridiculous is what I would say okay and sorry uh, I don't mean to put you on the spot here but when does it actually close 
I would imagine it's the end of August. August. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Uh, it's not because it, there was uh, summer transfer window opens. Oh no, summer transfer window will close in England at eleven p.m. on Friday, September the first. So um, yeah, Europe's top five leagues also the same date. Yeah, That's good. So there wa- that wasn't the case a few years ago. They tried. I said they tried. It didn't. Mm. They were trying to get go. it to the end of the to the start of the season. Yeah, and then there was a couple of weeks where no one really knew what was going on or, or how it was going to work after that. So okay, uh, I. It is officially open today, and uh, it's open with a big fish, the biggest fish in world football, Kylian Mbappe, who will be out of contract at the end of next season and will be available to leave Paris Saint-Germain for free and so therefore pocket all the cash that <coughs> the club would get. Uh, he wrote to them and said, I'm not going to be taking up your kind offer of a, an extra year on that contract, so I'm going to play for you until the end of next season and then I'll leave on a free transfer. And they were like, well, we will see about that. So... What's going to happen here? Well, this is this this deal, or if it if it goes through or not, could have a serious knock on effect of what happens around the rest of Europe in terms of obviously Real Madrid need a striker. Mm. Now, saying that, is Mbappe a striker? He would kind of play in the Vinicius role, right? That's that's the thing. I mean, and Vinicius is pretty good. Um, now, if Vinicius decided to leave Spain, I think we could all understand why, given the horrible time he's had yeah. the last few years, all the racial abuse. And, you know, he keeps going out on the pitch and he keeps producing these excellent performances. Uh, so, Vinicius and Mbappe, could they play in the same team? Of course they could because they're quality operators. But um, if a deal was to go through for Real Madrid to get Mbappe, then I suppose if you're Daniel Levy, then Tottenham, because... Harry Kane's been linked with a move to Real Madrid and if you're Tottenham you'd have no problem selling to Real Madrid mm. uh, as opposed to one of your Premier League rivals which he is always linked with Manchester United so if the Mbappe deal goes through as well then you know that's Real signing Mbappe and Jude Bellingham that's a lot of money to to pay over the summer does that mean they have to let a player go mm. what position is that player in it comes back to maybe is it Vinicius if two things happen, if Kane does go to Madrid and Sheikh Yassim wins the takeover of Manchester United, like is Mbappe to Old Trafford a, a, a serious possibility or is that a, is that pie in the sky? Well, it's uh, something that you would see a lot of talk about and I already have seen it. And mm. that's why transfers just circulate such excitement from football fans. Just even the prospect of that gets United yeah. fans excited. Just and the thought of Mbappe in the Premier League, generally speaking, is yeah. exciting. Say you wanted to, you know, win over the slightly reluctant Manchester United fans to rally behind your takeover of the club, even though there might be some questionable issues around uh, human rights and all those kind of things that football fans are sometimes care about and sometimes don't, depending on uh, who's asking the question. Would you uh, perhaps leak that the greatest footballer in the world might be the first signing that you make if you were to take over? I don't know. Could soften the blow, couldn't it? There's a little yeah. bit of free public relations advice. Well, Cristiano Ronaldo was a PR signing for United fans. Yeah, but that's head. a. I mean, Mbappe's 24, and yeah, that's a massive. Still has his best football ahead of him. We would we would assume, and speaks perfect perfect English as well. Yeah, like these I, things count. In in terms of Harry Kane, I, I've always felt though he doesn't want to leave the Premier League. I think he wants that record. He wants to be the Premier League's 60, all-time yeah. leading scorer. And well. 
we we did discuss this uh, just recently on the show and the point was made that he could easily do two seasons at Real Madrid mm. and then come back to anybody in the Premier League and score the remaining 25 goals over three or four years because Harry Kane's game's not really based on pace. No, well, we've seen in the last few seasons that you know he kind of has no problem withdrawing from attacks and being a playmaker as well. But and could yeah. he play as long as Sheringham if he wanted? If there was a record there to be chased, he probably could. Sheringham still looks like he could play. By the way, yeah, I saw a video of him there during the week. <laughs> but yeah, it's I said the Mbappe thing. Look, I mean, it might just go through the whole summer of will he, won't he, and then he actually does stay at PSG, and then he plays out a season. But one thing that is quite certain is PSG's trying to uh, attempt to try and win the Champions League with all these superstars hasn't worked and they're actually further away from it than they have been for a while they got to the final a few years ago but even that final was when there was the mini tournament mm. during Covid and they were playing one-off games and you know they, they could have won it but but they didn't and uh, Messi's gone talk that Neymar is going to go imagine they lost those three in the, the space of if, a few if, weeks yeah if if um, I think they're going to get Marco Asensio aren't they he, um, so like they'll still have a glittering array of attacking talent yeah and I can also see a situation where they just decide to keep Mbappe for one more season hope that they can turn the situation around in terms of him and his contract but it does look like at that stage the right thing for him to do would be to go to Real Madrid so what over on balance on the you know rate out of 10 where's Kylian Mbappe playing next season is it most likely Spain and obviously in that case it would have to be Real Madrid yeah I well I think if he does go it's going to be to Real Madrid mm. but I just don't know if he will go uh, like this is the thing about transfers and, and reports and speculation that we don't really know what's going on and we don't know why all this has come out in the last few days um, I mean there was a like Mbappe saying, I told you that last summer that that was going to be the case. So it's it's all about who has the the position of power, mm. and you know representatives will you know throw things out there as well. So it's it's become a big soap opera, and as I said, people love it. <laughs> I mean, between now and the first of September, you know, people will be just going through all sorts of different emotions because their club is linked to a player and they think this might happen and then it gets pulled at the last minute but then we find out actually it was never going to happen Yeah, but it's it's good for certain players to be linked with certain clubs and it's good for certain clubs to be linked with certain players One that has happened is Alexis McAllister to Liverpool I saw an interesting comment from Jimmy Carragher yesterday where he was saying look he, he has everything he can play in different positions Alexis McAllister the one thing is a lot of these great players that have left Brighton have maybe struggled after they've left Brighton and that could be down to just how good the system is at Brighton and Deserby and, and Potter before then is there any danger of that happening with, with McAllister or is he just too good to not be a success well no I mean he's just, look, he's a World Cup winner he's at that age of 24 which Liverpool like and you know just that kind of the way you described what happens with players that leave Brighton you could say something similar of players that leave Liverpool mm. the Klopp's players where they go somewhere else and it doesn't work out for them but he has all the attributes to, to be a success in the Liverpool team and I think what you'll see with Liverpool is and they've, they've tried to do it is be more of a, a technical have more technical ability in midfield where 
you know, there's, there's we we saw when they lost the ball last season how exposed they were. But obviously, if you have a better technical ability in midfield, you're not going to lose the ball as often as as they were. And I, I think you would imagine he's going to play in one of those more advanced roles, and then. They they still need bodies in there. They need energy where they need players that, you know, if they do lose the ball, they can get it back for you straight away. And, and by the way, he does that as well. He's straight into the team sheet as well. Like, there's no, he's not a, a, a player that comes in and out of the team. Like, Klopp doesn't tend to do that too often. If he, if he likes a player, he plays him. Yeah, but what Klopp does do is he gives a few months to kind of work out the system and how to play. And it can frustrate Liverpool fans at times where they look at this player and they think, why haven't they not. played? Mm. Did it with Fabinho. And all of a sudden, then he came in. So it's uh, no. I think they need. I've always felt they needed at least three midfielders. So they have one. It'll be interesting to see what they do in terms of defence. They need another centre half. Do they go with a right back? Calvin Ramsey's going on loan to Preston. He played ninety three minutes in total last season due to injuries. So. Will they go after another right back because they want to push Trent Alexander-Arnold on? They can use Trent Alexander-Arnold in both positions if they want. They can use him in that hybrid role where, or they could actually maybe start him as a midfielder. Said I had my doubts whether he'd be good enough to play as one of the three midfielders, but certainly the the glimpses. It's a short, it's a small sample size that we saw towards the end of the season. He looks like he could do it. Just it just reinvigorated him. Mm. So, uh, but if, if he has to play in that hybrid role, which um, obviously we've seen John Stones do for for Manchester City, that um, Trent Alexander Arnold has shown that he he can do it. Yeah. Okay. Um, the signing of Declan Rice to Arsenal looks almost like a done deal at this stage. Mm. I'd be very surprised if it doesn't happen given how far down the line and how publicly the uh, whoever's briefing the papers have got to the, the deal is agreed, the price is agreed, the personal terms are agreed. There's still some haggling going on about something which we're not quite sure about. Maybe they're waiting for the international window to close and then it becomes a done deal? Yeah, well he is away with the, the England squad at the moment and you know there was a contrasting talk coming out of the the game last week when they when they won the conference league then again Declan Rice is hardly going to say in his post match interview after just lifting the conference league for the, for the club that yeah that's me done I'm out of here <laughs> you know he has to be respectful in what he says I mean uh, then David Sullivan comes out the next day and said yeah we we told him he can go it seems like a lot of money like, I watched that final last week and oh, it was, you know, you're looking at him and Amrabat going, you could get Amrabat for yeah. half the price. But I know English players, there is a tax added to it. You have to have a certain amount of homegrown players in your squad. We just talked about McAllister there. Another player that had been linked with Liverpool was Mason Mount. Mm. And you'd have to pay twice the amount for Mason Mount than Alexis McAllister. And that's where the transfer market can be skewed. And But again, sometimes huge price tags they get forgotten about if a player hits the ground running and Grealish all of a sudden 100 million you're like oh we're people aren't even talking about it yeah. they're talking about more about how he had a really good season mm. and he seems to be enjoying himself off the pitch now for the next for the last few days but why did he have a good season with Manchester City he you know he, he realised that to play for Pep Guardiola he was going to have to work his absolute backside off and, and he did it and I, I actually think back to there was a game when they played Liverpool where Liverpool were 1-0 up on that game and City go on to win but Grealish prevents Liverpool from scoring a second goal and then a couple of minutes later he's setting up the, mm. the City goal so yeah, um, yeah the, the penny dropped with him 
very quickly, two uh, of our potential World Cup uh, attendees, uh, Amber Barrett, who I really hope is on the plane just for emotional reasons. I think it would be a crying shame if she didn't, uh, has joined Standard Liège, quietly putting together an incredible career of uh, European experience. Mm. And so hopefully, again, like when her playing days are over, she'll come back and, and be a, an important voice in the league at some level and in helping our best young players to go and not just focus on the WSL for the future of their career but anyway so she's got standard Liège and Nifai signed a contract extension at Liverpool yeah and, and Nifai has been on the continent as well and several of our players have been Diane Caldwell is another one which you know would have played a lot of football in Germany Louise Quinn, Louise Quinn story is so interesting where she was sending clips to clubs to basically show this is what I can do and um, it just shows now this is why it's so important though that the women's Premier Division and Women's National League here gets its ducks in a row and make sure that players can develop here. Mm-hmm. And if they want to go off and play in Europe, that's fine, but that they don't have to if they don't want to. Yeah. And then it, it's not all about the WSL. What I can see at the moment is the WSL is becoming so good that it's very similar to what happened with the Premier League where we have players playing in the WSL but they're getting squeezed out of their clubs now and they're starting to appear in the Championship. Now the Championship is still a very good standard but if it keeps going that way then you get a situation like we have with the men's team where there's more focus on developing players here and that's why that goes back to what the FAI were proposing last week when they released their strategic vision that it is so important that if we want Look, here we are. When this World Cup kicks off on the 20th of July, it's going to be amazing. More than 80,000 people there. And we're going to, this is class. Well, we have to make sure that this isn't a once-off. Like, now is the time. And this is why the FAI were thinking. Uh, it came up that women's football, the growth of women's football, is just going at a, a, like a rapid rate. And we need to be able to keep up with it. Yeah, and that's why I think at least the document has a plan in place in a way that there wouldn't have been uh, when the team in the 90s broke through. Uh, all right, that's the first of the new official transfer window. We're back. Deal or no deal open. <laughs> Phil, good stuff. Thanks a million. Nice, nice. Hi, Royce. Maddie Taylor. I can see him getting his car. I've decided to go to Bolton. I'm waving and going out the car. Just love moving teams and then you have to do an initiation. They just don't seem to be able to get deals over the line. Uh, Peter M says, is it not an idea to play Brown as one of the tens? He also has a goal in him, arrives late in the box and is good defensively. I think they were looking at him more as a right wing back and so therefore a sub to come on if we need one at right wing back, which we may well do because Doherty hasn't played that much football. Uh, Siobhan Doyle has been in touch. Hey Siobhan, good morning to you. Uh, to say to Tommy, stick it on the dressing room wall. Can't wait to throw rotten strawberries at Tommy Rooney and Roar. Where's your power rankings now? After Wexford cruised to a 27-point victory in Park Talchon, one for every place we are in at Off The Ball AM's power rankings. Ronan Fagan on Twitter says, Wexford GA, below Leitrim, New York and Wicklow. Yeah, hand me the pin and find me a dressing room wall. That's the whole point of the power rankings. Uh, you know, you've got you to convince Tommy that somehow his algorithm is wrong. And the only way to do it on the field of play. Uh, Offaly didn't give the Talton Cup any respect. The last two games were god-awful. They didn't even have enough lads to f- have a full matchday panel. Loads of lads left for the States, etc. after the Louth game. And Kenny the Dad says, Heat in Monaghan in May equals 14 degrees. Damn right. Look at, this. Look at, look at my skin. Like, it's at 14 and I'm, I'm starting to burn here. It's enough for me. 
Uh, that's today's show. We're live with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave of your money back. Neon Night Edition is available now. On Thursday's show, Keith Woods, Joe Malloy's US Open preview, a look ahead to the weekend's GA, and plenty more besides. Right now, Gabriele Marcotti talking about Silvio Berlusconi. Have a great day. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now.